Paul faced the old woman, holding anger in check. See this? She asked. From the folds of her gown, she lifted a green metal cube about 15 centimeters on a side. She turned it, and Paul saw that one side was open, black and oddly frightening. No light penetrated that open blackness. Put your right hand in the box. Fear shot through Paul. He started to back away, but the old woman said, Is this how you obey your mother? He looked up into bird-bright eyes. Slowly, feeling the compulsions and unable to inhibit them, Paul put his hand into the box. He felt first a sense of cold as the blackness closed around his hand and slick metal against his fingers, and a prickling as though his hand were asleep. A predatory look filled the old woman's features. She lifted her right hand away from the box and poised the hand close to the side of Paul's neck. He saw a glint of metal there and started to turn toward... Stop! She snapped. Using the voice again, he swung his attention back to her face. I hold at your neck the Gom Jabbar, she said. The Gom Jabbar, the high-handed enemy. It's a needle with a drop of poison on its tip. Uh, uh, uh. Don't pull away or you'll feel that poison. Paul tried to swallow in a dry throat. He could not take his attention from the seamed old face the glistening eyes, the pale gums around silvery metal teeth that flashed as she spoke. A duke's son must know about poisons, she said. It's the way of our times, huh? Musky to be poisoned in your drink, almas to be poisoned in your food, the quick ones and the slow ones and the slow ones in between. Here's a new one for you, the Gom Jabbar. It kills only animals. Pride overcame Paul's fear. You dare suggest a duke's son is an animal? He demanded. Let us say I suggest you may be human, she said. Steady. I warn you not to try jerking away. I am old, but my hand can drive this needle into your neck before you escape me. Who are you? How did you trick my mother into leaving me alone with you? Are you from the Harkonnens? The Harkonnens? Bless us, no. Now, be silent. A dry finger touched his neck, and he stilled the involuntary urge to leap away. Good, she said. You passed the first test. Now, here's the way the rest of if you withdraw your hand from the box, you die. This is the only rule, keep your hand in the box and live. Withdraw it and die. guest room filled with tall ales and taller tales. Join a group of grown men intent on discussing the intricacies of fantasy and science fiction. Tim Gilbert Media presents...
messianic prophecy covered with a thin veneer of sci-fi environmentalism and shot through with a heavy dose of Timothy Leary. This is the Dungeons and Dweebs podcast, episode 35, Dune, part one. I'm your host, Bob, and the spiced Iraqian rum is warmly worming its way into our systems like a desert breeze down a winding Iraqian street. In fact, Uncle Klob is back, and, well, he's in rare form. He's imbibed so much he believes he can see into the future. He's curled up over there in the corner right now, singing to himself. With a quitsack cataract, get your spice from Chome. This Mahdib is stumbling home. What? <laughs> oh, wow. But I'm not alone. Across the table from me, it's been said that at beachside rest stops in California, he was able to call worms to his stall with just two taps from his thumper in the sand. He was known for aggressively giving the water a life as well as having the, I quote, strength in the base of his pillar. It's Luke. Listen here, I cannot just be your sexual whipping <laughs> in the intros to these podcasts. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, these references in the book were just just popping out at me. <laughs> oh, so Dune, um, we got a full table, uh, one, one new co-host, a returning one from last year. Oh, yeah. This is a massive and I, tome. And I just feel out of place. <laughs> anyway, I, let's not linger on me. I'm going to be probably largely in the background on this episode. Uh, to my right this time, it's Clob. Ah, uh, greetings, my lovelies. I have returned from my extended stay in the quantum realm. It's been a lot going on in your old Uncle Clob's life outside of the Dean Dweebs universe. However, much like the Atreides' detailed journey to finally get to Arrakis, much is happening, but not much of it is very interesting. <laughs> oh, shots fired. I did. I did, however, I will tell you guys, I did run into an old Benny Gesserit friend of mine this past month. And let me tell you, young ones, those mystical witches definitely have a commanding tongue. <laughs> but enough about my travels. Those may come out on a new side series I'm pitching, where your Uncle Clob travels the world to hang out with our Dungeons and Dweebers out there. We sample local food and culture, and of course talk nerdum over many of what lo of whatever local adult beverages may be. No, you cannot Dweebers, travel around the country. Dweebers Dungeons and Drafts. Yeah. Can we? Can you, what do you boys think? Can we fund this? I think this. I'm not. I'm not going to get behind. Let's crowdsource. You going around and diddling our fans? Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, diddling. <laughs> well, what do, you, what do you think that's going to lead? <laughs> Across the table from me, join him in a one-way trip to Flavortown. He's the chief to my negative man, the the Tyrion to my Tormund, the Karn liberated to my Rel Zarek. There's a deep cut for you guys out there. Jeez. Ted, welcome back, and how are you? Thank you, Clap. <laughs> uh, for the honor of joining a discussion about my favorite science fiction novel, Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh, I've got quite the intro here, so bear with me, okay? I just want to take you on a quick journey. Buckle uh, up. Definitely buckle up. In fact, double buckle. <laughs> uh, the affection with which I dress Dune today, uh, steeped in the life of my adolescent Ted. I will explain to you in a brief session here what I, uh, what I first got into Dune through. I started with Star Wars, of course, moved on to Star Trek, then The Next Generation, then Deep Space Nine, then Swamp Thing. 
than Renegade. Because Lorenzo Lamas, well, yes. Yes. he was a he cop is out of this world. Job. Yes. Um, maybe some Isaac Asim- Asimov, a little PKD, some Stargate. Uh, James Spader uh, occupied my thoughts for a while in my youth. But most formatively, Dune. Uh, it was epic. It felt epic. <laughs> War deep. Yes. Uh, we move on into my youth. Soon I find myself freebasing nutmeg under the guise it was the spice malad. <laughs> I poured it into my clothes to simulate a trek through the harsh southern regions of Arrakis. I put it in water and guzzled it. I splashed it on my lips before I sucked my stillsuit tubes. I fed it to my dog in hopes of sparking a clairvoyant anthropomorphic relationship with a basset. <laughs> I, I lived Frank Herbert's universe. I was Paul. Ted to Paul. <laughs> Worse yet, when the movie came out, nobody prepared me for the mental imprint that Sting's lithe, oily body and bright, foxy hair would have on my young mind. Soon I was wearing futuristic, open-chested radon rompers and rubbing canola oil all over my hairless chest, threatening to stab and kill squirrels of the neighborhood. The worst of all, however, was the visualization of Baron's oozing face and his stumpy frame floating around rooms, <laughs> ripping tubes out of attractive young men in some unexplainable sexual frenzy. This led to me licking my He-Man characters while giddily ripping their limbs off at the top of the stairs. What? Yes. My parents soon put an end to that practice. So you might ask yourself, given this newfound information about me, whether this was a healthy Dune obsession? And the answer is yes. <laughs> For it led to a greater understanding of how literature can inspire visions of other worlds, even if those visions involve reenactments of body mutilation and drug snacks. <laughs> but these were just superficial reflections of the Dune universe, folks. Naive attempts of a young, enthusiastic boy to displace himself in Herbert's world. I yearned for an awakening to start anew, to avenge a wrong, to ride a worm, to taste the spice. I was all in, but I didn't have the wherewithal to grasp the allegorical and philosophical aspects of Dune. For within those realms, only one truly does start to grasp the beauty and profundity of Herbert's prose. Dune is an adventure story, a love story, a cautionary ecological tale, an insightful political drama, a visual masterpiece woven within the prose of a simple genius, a story of worlds in the scope of infinite time. Dune is space, Dune is spice. So come on, folks, grab your still suits, head into the desert, and ride the worm. Only through its spice will you suckle the knowledge of what was, what is, and what will be. <laughs> that is the best TED talk I have ever heard. <laughs> And we're all going home. That was that in a nutshell is Dune. There we go. I have to transfer this over to my good dear friend DP Daniel P. What are we calling him? Danny P. Danny P. Also known as the Big DP. The Big DP. Thank you. Very very excited to be here. What an intro to follow my first uh, first time here. <laughs> big fan of Dune. Big fan of your guys' podcast. All right. Aww. Um. They're a little long sometimes, but it's okay. It's <laughs> well, it won't buckle up. Here, here comes dude. Danny, you try getting Bob and Club to shut up. <laughs> yeah, so my uh, my learning target for this podcast oh, no. is going to be uh, oh, at, least, at least two minutes of good air time, and I'm going to try to rigorously achieve that goal. <laughs> so so that's going to also roll into your success criteria. Correct. <laughs> All right. Host it. Host it. Oh man, so we have a full round table here because Dune is 
Uh, I don't know. I think we can just put the, put the cap on the episode. It's done. <laughs> That's good enough. We're done. But Dune is considered by, I, I would say, most as being one of the greatest science fiction novels of all time. Frank Herbert, right, is considered to be, gosh, uh, on equal with the greats of science fiction writing, Asimov, um, Philip K. Dick, right? So, yes. So... It's a huge book, so we needed a large and extended roundtable to tackle this one. Well, I tell you what, we need to go. We need to get into this. So let's pull up some chairs around the fire. Danny, I got to tell you, I got some spiced apple ale over there, and new guy buys first round. Agreed. <laughs> we don't serve there. Do you have any blue milk? But what am I supposed to find in a... Oh, my goodness. It's bigger on the inside. I want to go to Taki Station and power converters. Okay, okay, it's not a detonator. It's just a jammy dodger. What are the B-boys? Tavern talk. So we're back here, sitting out on the portico. The warm sands of the Iraqian desert are blowing in. Getting just a little bit in my eyes. Why do you... Just got to squint just a little bit. Um... But this is Tavern Talk, the portion of the show where we just kind of kick back and talk about what's going on in our nerd universes. So it's been a while since we recorded our last show. We've got a lot of new faces around the table. So I'm going to kick it over to Luke. Luke, what's new in your nerd universe? You know, not a whole lot that I think that we should be covering, you know, especially with the tome that is Dune yes. uh, lingering overhead. Um, finished Game of Thrones. Uh, I don't know, anybody else at the table here yes. with me? Who yes. Three out of five. I guess, are you. Let's keep it. It's, it's still pretty new. Let's keep it spoiler free. Are you guys? Are you guys as mad as everybody else on the internet? I'm not mad. I just. I, I, I do agree that everything felt rushed. Oh, yeah. Everything felt so rushed because it was six episodes, but I'm not mad. I mean, it it, it ends the way it ends. Mm-hmm. Danny, any thoughts? I'm good how it ended. I don't know how you're supposed to end it. Yeah, I, and really, I, yeah. I'd say the only thing, I mean, I, I tried Googling it quick beforehand, but I couldn't find a reliable source. What I was hearing is that there are going to be spinoffs. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was so kind of just open-ended. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I, did, I had a friend say they Lord of the Rings to us, where they just kind of go like, Nah, there you go. Put characters where they're supposed to be and just push them. Like, ah, story's over. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, there, but, there is something to be said for that, too. True. True. And, and it's, yeah, yeah I mean, how, how do you end Game of Thrones? Yeah. And I, that's totally where I'm at. Yeah. Well, the author that, that's why the author is still... The author, still, still, yeah, the author doesn't know how to do it. Oh <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I got. I got no feedback on the Twitter end. Also, I haven't been tweeting. <laughs> Oops. Um... I think uh, we, we, I'd say keep an eye on the YouTube page. We're going to start. There's going to be a, a lot of variety coming out. I think we're for sure. posting episodes there for anybody who doesn't have an Apple device or just anybody who prefers YouTube over the podcast. Right, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be getting uh, pretty much all of our episodes out uh, on YouTube. So if you want to listen to them. Possibly, way, possibly a few mini episodes of Dweeber's Dungeons and Drafts. I mean, yeah, if you want to hang out and drink on camera, I'm cool. Yeah, <laughs> you come down in the studio, do whatever you want to do. Um, and also, I think on this one, Dune is where we're going to start saying we're doing a kind of a start watching the feed for kind of side 
projects coming out. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a, a segment now called Deeper Delves, where there'll be the mainline program uh, that's doing Dune, but I think a few of us have selected to go forward and read at least Dune Messiah oh, yeah. and Children of Dune mm-hmm. and do yes. kind of uh, single episodes where we talk about those, and we'll see where we go. I mean, I, I would like to do everything Herbert did, the first six, uh, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, part of that is we, we are finally in the new studio, um, and that's right. why it might sound a little different. Yeah. Um, we didn't have uh, the correct amount. The, the studio we originally were in was a lot smaller than this, and I had bought, This one's big. Yeah, I had bought enough acoustic tiles for the small space, hmm. not so much this bigger one, but the bigger the bigger space right. gives us room to do more videos. Swing, uh, swing, uh, swing sets. Swing sets. Um, Ankle chains. <laughs> uh, more room. So, much, more so room. much room for activities. Yes. Oh. Uh, wink, wink. Uh, anyway, that's that's it. I just want to talk about Game of Thrones a little bit. Uh, let's just pass it on to Klob. Hey, kids. Uncle Klob here. Um, I've been gone for a while, so I just want to touch on a couple quick things. Um, again, it's TV time with Klob. Uh, finish. Oh, I've been... I've been sh- Watching a couple of my stories. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is when I get up and get a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Finished season two of uh, Star Trek Discovery. Still loved it. Still, I still love what they're doing with that show. Finished season two of American Gods. Neil Gaiman is a. F- I, I do really like uh, Neil Gaiman as an author, and I think they're I doing Gaiman. I whatever. We're a, we're a literature podcast. <laughs> God damn it! I thought it was guy man, but I, I don't know. Anyways, I think they're doing very well with the American Gods TV show on matching it to just kind of the schizophrenic writing that he does and his prose. Mm. I love um, the book. Love the book. Endgame, of course, which uh, you know, Avengers Endgame come out. I absolutely loved it. I've seen it twice in the theater already. Um, I will tell you the first time I did see it in the, with the Dream Loungers. Three hours in the Dream Loungers is so much better than sitting <laughs> in, sitting in a theater scene for three hours. Wait, are those the reclining, um, reclining? Yeah, all the way. Reclining, it, reclining all the way. Yeah, you got heated best. seats. You can kind of have like the little couch if you want to make Oof, it the couch. Right, right. Nice. Um, the one do, one thing I do want to talk about because we always do we kind of end up sometimes ragging on DC around here. Mm. Uh, I just finished the first season of DC's Doom Patrol. Which is... Where's that on? It, uh, it's on DC Streaming. Okay. It's on DC... Pirate Bay. <laughs> <laughs> it is on... I'm pretty sure DC Streaming's free. <laughs> um, I don't remember at this point, because I ordered it one night in the state. Ah. Um, so, but I will say, Doom Patrol, it, it is... Um, it was originally set up in the 60s, and actually, it is actually what X-Men is based off of. Marvel oh. took the idea of the dude in the wheelchair with this ragtame team of mutants. Oh, did we? I, sorry, I don't want to totally hijack what you're talking yeah. about. Did, do you guys know about the new Watchmen thing coming out next year? What? The Watchmen series. Yeah, yes. no, the continuation after. I am so stoked on Ooh, that. I gotta that, see. That I was see actually, uh, I can't remember who I was talking about that. I'm sorry to totally cut you off, Club. Watchmen is like what we did like our practice run for Dungeons and Dweebs on. Yeah. Where we read the comic book, watched the movie, and talked about like, okay, yeah, this could work. Right. But, okay, yeah. Sorry, okay, yeah. sorry go on, Glove. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, Doom Patrol, it's a DC product. Uh, actually, Brandon Fraser provides a voice for it. What is he doing now? Um, he's providing a voice for <laughs> Obviously. Uh, um, but it, it is... I really like the twi- Twilight of the Golds. Yeah, with Caveman Paul, with Pauly Shore. That Twilight <laughs> of the Golds was a real good one. <laughs> anyway, so watch Doom Patrol. 
Uh, it's a good old-fashioned swearing, blood and guts. Uh, Alan Tudyk, who is one of my favorite sci-fi mm. actors ever, plays the bad guy. <coughs> but he also, as one of his bad guy powers, is he has powers over reality. So he is also the narrator mm. of the oh, series. Oh, I like that idea. And so it is really cool. Anyways, Doom Patrol on DC, really good. Ted, what 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 have you been doing in your life since the last time we talked to you? <laughs> the year plus. Uh, yeah. Um, well, in the nerddom realm, I've been reading Jim, James Clavell's uh, Shogun, which is like a, a five-book series of an epic Japanese uh, saga. It's been highly recommended. So yes. how do you, do you recommend this series? Yes, excellent. Uh, g- reminds me of Game of Thrones, but with more adventure and also uh, really good writing. And an end. And an end. Yeah. I don't actually know. I'm, I'm only in book one. <laughs> but it, uh, then it kind of made me, I was looking at uh, Sekiro, this Shadows Die Twice game that came out for the PS4 in March. And I'm kind of inspired to go get it. So mm. I think I, I've heard that is so freaking hard. Well, that would be good at least, right? I don't know. Right. If you're going to be it a looks, shogun warrior. Do you want to play together? Yes. We could conquer it. Yeah, we could. Together. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that's what I'm... I'm kind of in the world of Japan right now, but then I find it quite interesting. I'm you weeb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> senpai. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. Venmo me, senpai. Twenty dollars. <laughs> uh, if I start seeing you put posts on Facebook with a big pillow, we're gonna have to have a conversation. Boy, uh, I've been making uh, chokers uh, with beads uh, <laughs> on my own string. <laughs> but that's my Etsy page. So, uh, so I'm gonna leave Japan. I'll throw it over to you, Bob. What have you been? Uh, what have you been? Or I'm sorry, Dan, Danny P. The DP. The DP. Uh, what have you been doing? Not making chokers. Though. <laughs> <laughs> He's a logger. He uses his bare hands. You don't have to make him to use them. Oh, sex joke. I get it. <laughs> no, I've been, uh, ever since Bob recommended uh, last last podcast. Oh, I yeah. Drilled those. Yeah, welcome, Doing a deeper dive. Deep I, did a, I did a deep dive. Oh, on those. Free plug for last podcast on the left. They're going to be in St. Paul in yeah, August. Yeah, we got to go. We got to go. Yeah. I'm so down. If, if you're in the area, come hang with oh. us watching last podcast on the left. <laughs> Fangirling hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be buying all of their t shirts and memorabilia. Bob's already a piece of bread. He's got like a. 24-pack of Bud Light Limes. He's ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give him all to Ben Kissel. Ben Kissel, here you go. Drink these Bud Light Limes. (laughs) I think that's the week I'm in Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) What? (sighs) Yeah, otherwise, the only other TV I watch is that True Detectives. Okay. Season Mm -hmm. 3 on HBO. Nice. Now, who's in season 3? Who's the season 3 one? Gentleman that I don't know the name of. Good. <laughs> really good though. It was, uh, it was really good. Some crazy scenes. And other than that, my game I've been playing is uh, Oregon Trail. <laughs> oh, yes. right. sorry. Nice. Standalone game. It's uh, pretty sweet. You have typhoid. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have is it the up. actual 80s version? Yep. Yeah. It's the 80s version. You can Gosh. have a target if you want. I remember, okay, so I, rem- time. I remember in elementary school going up and we had a whole mm. bank of Macs. All of them green screen except uh, for two that those, were colors. Those were actually apples. Apples. Mac, they were they Apple Macintosh. Yet. They were Apple, Macs yet. Apple Macintosh. Apple two E's. <laughs> so. Where'd it go, buddy? <laughs> I have one in my I have one in my basement. <laughs> yeah. 
But there was only two that were in color, so we'd all race to do it. And I remember, I think computers must have been like 20 minutes long was the class. And so we'd all get Oregon Trail, and we'd all buy like six ox and a bunch of spare axles. You gotta be the banker. <laughs> and you, you'd just set them for grueling pace. The whole time. Board every river. Every Let's river. Just go! It's just like, everybody's getting diphtheria, everybody's dying. <laughs> and, and like, getting to that river or road at the end was like a mecca. It was like, all of a sudden, you'd be like, sweating, looking at the clock, you're like, there's like two minutes, three minutes left in class, and somebody'd be like, Ryan just made it to the river! And everybody <laughs> would just flock around the screen and watch as Ryan died hitting a rock on that river. Uh, <laughs> did you guys name your kid, like, your any of your family members like butts or something no, like no. get all nervous butts dad. Get, get all nervous when the teacher comes back oh, 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 I the butts. Oh, my brother really butts, butts just got to theory or you name or no you name him after like the class bully yeah. and then you intentionally kill him <laughs> no, that was Ted for me yeah. Buster Buster has diphtheria yeah he does <laughs> Buster totally kills you in Oregon Trail dude <laughs> great idea for Give me your an real actual TV show Oregon Trail you gotta get yeah. there. You have no materials. Well, you got a wagon. Yeah. <laughs> Life yeah. or death. Film yeah. it. Actually, that would be great. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, was that was that amazing race? Except actually right. good. You leave when the Donner Party left. You leave when the Donner Party left. See if you can make it. Yeah. Yeah. They draw when they get to the pass. Yeah. They go, okay, I guess we're going to go this way. Yeah. yeah, every week, you know, you get voted out of the, voted out of the caravan. Like, oh, it looks like the, the tribe has chosen to eat you. <laughs> That's horrible. So, Bob, what's up in your nerd, nerd world? What's up in your butt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, got him. I got him. What's up, what's yeah. Up, what's up in your nude world? <laughs> you know, um, not a lot. I'm going to keep it actually more focused on the show on this time. Uh, finish up with just, first of all, throwing out a plug. If you guys uh, are into Dune, you're probably a fan of sci-fi, and we are going to be jumping over and... Uh, still keeping it on the schedule, but also doing it as kind of a, a different lineup, different setup for doing it. But we're still doing Rama, so if you like uh, like Arthur C. Clarke, a little uh, rendezvous with Rama is coming your way. But I want to jump onto Facebook because speaking of all of that, uh, we we got a little bit of feedback. I want to just highlight a couple things. Uh, we just got done reviewing Iron Gold, and we got a response. Uh, I put out some ads and. Kaylee Zolowski um, says, Hey, I'm just, I just listened to the Iron Gold Part 1 podcast. I'm new to the full podcast thing, but I loved it. Super interesting listening to the guy's opinions as a casual reader, but not as hardcore howlers like us. We'll subscribe. Smiley face. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Kaylee. Um, but yeah, it's nice to have you on board. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, yeah. uh, not howlers. Are we not howlers? Are we just I don't casual? Know, I think you lost a lot of cred when you were trashing the cover. Okay, I'm gonna keep <laughs> riding the fact that this is one of the most kick butt books. And now, Danny, big DP, when you look at the cover here of old Iron Gold, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Danny's just stepped out of the woods. Danny's a man of, of the forests, <laughs> uh, he's a virile young male. What do you see when you look at this cover? It does look a little feminine. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, would you say Daniel Steele or like Hearts of Flame, Burning Desire? I'm not sure that far. <laughs> not a howler. All the howlers would just blindly follow Pierce into the dark. And by the way, our podcast, I think, has done a collective like 14 hours on, on Pierce Brown's yeah. stuff. 
Dark, Can, Dark Ages coming out soon. So that's why we're not howlers. I believe we're peerless scarred. I think yeah, that should yeah. make us peerless. You can do 14 Legit. hours chapter by chapter. You're a peerless scarred. Come on now. <laughs> so I think it, uh, you may be you may be a peerless scarred. I think after I think after the initial the initial war and Mustang took charge, I think I became a pirate out in the outer rim. Because <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. You've been pirating in the outer here. rim Listen for a here. long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have I have issue I have issue with you putting down iron gold but giving high praise to Dragonlance. <laughs> <laughs> Dragons of Winter Night was a real good one. Amen, what? brother. Amen. Been... Um, we also got feedback. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> we also got a little feedback from Justin. I kind of updated the photo on our reading reading calendar on Facebook. And, uh, Justin W. Justin W. Shout out to Justin. Always on our posts. Thanks, man. Yeah, and I've, I've uh, friended him on Facebook, and he's he's a really neat guy. A lot of the stuff he has to post and stuff about soldiers and everything. Really cool. Um, but Justin said, I've never read Rendezvous with Rama. I always like liked Heinlein over Clark, but man, am I looking forward to Dune and more Dragonlance and Kevin J. Anderson's first Star Wars outing. So look for that in the fall. We're going to be doing Star Wars again, Kevin J. Anderson stuff uh, from back Back in the 90s, but he says, I got to take some classes from Kevin J. Anderson and his wife Rebecca in Colorado Springs in February. By the way, he is one hell of a nice guy and constantly mentoring young writers. That's really cool because Kevin awesome. J. Anderson, in this series that we're doing right now, uh, Dune, the first six books are by Frank Herbert, and then his son, uh, Brian, picked up doing the books, and the co author on that is Kevin J. Anderson. So kind of a neat little no connection there. Yeah, yeah. True. Kevin J. Anderson, uh, in all honesty, I've read his Star Wars stuff. I haven't read the Dune stuff that he's done, but that seems like what he's done well, I guess, or to the detriment. I know a lot of Dune fans are really unhappy with what he did with Dune. Uh, as I've been getting into the Dune universe and... The Dune universe. And I've been... Surfing the Reddit pages, oh, uh, there seems to be a big schism between uh, kind of, I don't know, what would you call did you, them? Did you actually go on Reddit? Yeah. Welcome to hell. Uh, right? Yeah. God. It was. I was just trying to find synopses roast of the chapters. Me. Roast me. Yeah. <laughs> roast yeah. me, senpai. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I was, I've been looking at that actually too, Bob, and you're right, there is a big kind of uh, split there between... The, I, I would almost term, term them the Dune purists. Yeah, or, don't they even call themselves something? There's like Her, Herbertians, or yes, uh, what are they? Her, Herbertians, Fra Frank, Frank Larians. Like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. You know what? It seems like we're devolving into talking about the book. So let's get to the book. All right. Well, we need to get another drink. I got this round, you guys. Danny, I do have a nice couple shots for you. That again, first timers got to do. It's a literal needle. <laughs> you know Tashi Station? I'm a leaf on the wind. I'm freaking fired from there. I'm a leaf. Waiting around for that Skywalker kid to come pick up the power convoyers. We got downloads into the system. I pull up a chair, friend. So here we are. Episode, I already forgot, uh, we took 35. 35. 35, ooh. <laughs> Getting up there, boys. 35, Dune, part one. By Frank Herbert. Book one. 
Oh, was, yeah, it's, it's, it's divided into books. We'll, well, get, we'll get into why I don't know that. Um, <laughs> at any rate. <laughs> so, I guess, yeah, let's get into, like, our, like, exposure to Dune. I, we know Ted has a very interesting relationship with the book. I've exposed myself to Dune in many ways. <laughs> you, you yes. Put, but real, why don't we start with you, Ted? Um, I know you're a, a big fan. I am. Um... Dune, obviously, is something that uh, I think in our... If you look at stories that have a cult following, obviously this tale and the subsequent horrific movie, not that bad. Um, and the rest of Herbert's writing really has kind of a cult feel to it with those who, yeah. who believe that he's a fantastic sci-fi author. I'm one of those, um, in part because I think his prose is uh, superbly simple but accessible and also very visually descriptive. And uh, he, he kind of has a formulaic pattern to his writing where a lot of um, complex sentences and then just dialogue after them. So people walk into a room, you get a brief little description of what they're thinking, and then it moves to some quick dialogue. I think that pacing, um, while the book sometimes is really slow, his scenes, if you look at them in their individuality, are oftentimes very well paced um, and, and thought out. So Ooh. Can I stop you there for a second? Yes. Because what you are saying about the pacing... Brings me to, I listened to a interview that was done in 1969. It's available on YouTube. It's fantastic. It's about an hour long between Frank Herbert and some guy that I take it to be a professor of science fiction from some university. I don't know who. I didn't look into who it was. But Marty. <laughs> he says Marty. that rhythm, that rhythm that you were talking about, it, uh, Herbert says, he says the book has a coital rhythm. Mm. And, and <laughs> which, which, but even the guy, the guy interviewing him, it's the best interview because he said, Herbert said that? Frank Herbert says, so what you're, uh, what you're hearing there is, uh, I purposely put in this coital rhythm. And even the guy who is like some sort of sci-fi professor is like, Ex excuse me, what did you say? <laughs> so, Herbert's like, uh, coital rhythm. It's the rhythm of coitus. Oh, no, no, no. So wait, no, wait. We were not, we were not confused on that part. So this book. <laughs> Has a build to it. It's kind of like grinding the corn. <laughs> Where you just kind of the pace increases the whole way yeah. until he deliberately, he says at the end, chops it off so that he says his words. Uh, he you you chop out of it so the reader skids out, trailing bits of the story with him. Yes, you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going. I mean, you're the pace is just. You're hammering through no. the book, and then all of a sudden, you skid out. <laughs> no. And you leave, you leave bits of the book. <laughs> this is Herbert's words yeah, from very, 1969. Yeah, Frank Herbert, very humble man. <laughs> God. Just, just blew it, blew his linguistic prose all over our faces. Um, I would argue that linguistic linguistic. In the same uh, thing, kind of in the same realm here, Bob, if you're talking about how the pacing uh, of language, and if you actually read Dune aloud and you are following that coital rhythm, you are in essence performing coitus on yourself. Uh, <laughs> is that how that's You true? know what? Hey, and for the therefore, reading the book is like having that experience in your, own, in your own being. He talks about how he believes that Dune should in some ways be... Uh, listened to that yes. he was going for that ancient tribal uh, rhythm that that it's 
it's a very primal thing to sit around the campfire and listen to an oral narrative and that that's how, so those of you who listen to the audiobook that is i guess the preferred way even by herbert that's actually one of the things i'm going to bring up as we keep going and as we start getting into the book is i actually didn't read this one i completely did the full audible version the amazon audible version which is actually really cool because they have like actors and stuff and music right. and sound effects and there is a, I will admit, there is a pacing, there is the pacing aspect, right. and you can hear it when they're reading it aloud. Right. I and, and I guess you would say that the ending, uh, which I guess if it's coital rhythm, would be some sort of frenetic and in some ways uh, satirical. I, he, was, he was going for an action-packed ending, but he saw it as farcical in a lot of ways, mm. uh, like that it, it would turn into uh, kind of maybe more of the pulps, you know, from the 30s where you're looking at, you know, um, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs or something like that, that he had taken what was a very, very deep look at ecology and and all of that, and then at the end would kind of top it off with kind of ridiculous frosting, is how he saw it. Whether you see it as ridiculous or not, well, and it I, seems like that's what he was saying about his own novel. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think the ridiculous the ridiculous frosting, as you yeah. put it, really is a commentary on politics in itself, as we can be right. so serious, we can go through so this, but we get to a lot of the ending of... You know, whether it be world politics, international politics, local, uh, you know, state politics, anything else. A lot of times you get to the end and it is farcical. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, humans are the ridiculous frosting. Everything else is uh, the whole universe, everything else in, contained within it is are the larger issues. We are just petty people. Oh, yes. So really, if you think about the ending, not unbelievable in any way. Yeah, it is very, like, uh, fitting for that scene. For well, and especially great. at the time that this was written, too, there was a lot of... Um, whether it be pop culture or whether it be uh, anything else with that, that talked about the idea of the noble savage and everything oh, else. Oh, yeah. You really see a lot of those themes rolling through here. For sure. I will also read Dune to anyone. Just call me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read you the coital rhythm. Uh, Bob's got it for the next two weeks, but after that I'll read it. <laughs> Nobody's calling me. So, uh, I'm calling myself. So, Danny, how about your... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Beyond the coital rhythm of the book. <laughs> What's your exposure to Dune? <laughs> I started out with the movie with my dad watching it quite okay. a bit. He was a big sci-fi the, da- the David Lynch movie, the 1984 David yes. Lynch movie. Yes, yes. yes. not the earlier, the later ones. Those are Yeah, the, the sci-fi <laughs> channel, original, high budget. With not the David Carradine one? <laughs> no. Um, but no, so I liked it then and I didn't know there was even books out there. Oh really? Oh, yeah. So right. I read a lot of like Greek mythology and stuff. Yeah. Growing up. Not so much sci-fi stuff. So right. Yeah. So I liked the movie, and it was a hard time breaking from the movie when I started reading the books. Right. So, so when you started reading the book, uh, how old were you when you started reading the books? Probably like college. College. Probably age. Probably college. So how hard was it to separate what Lynch had done in the movie, or is it just impossible? When you read the book, do you see what Lynch did? Yeah. 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 Yeah, you can separate it, but he, he had some major changes right, <laughs> from yeah. the book. But right, yeah. Well, and yeah. I want to talk about just bringing up the movies here. I want to talk about the fact that there is the new Dune, the remake, which is the reboot here, which is coming out in two thousand twenty. Right. Wow! And I just want to read you this cast list right now. Oh boy! Because yeah. I've been looking at this. Uh, Jason Momoa is Duncan Idaho. Uh, he's the hot guy of the time. <laughs> Josh Bro- <laughs> Josh Brolin Thanos is Gurney. 
Come on. I'm not. I want Sting. I want oiled Sting. Dave Dave Batista is going to be Glosso Glosso Robin. Um, we go through here. We have Oscar Isaac is Duke Le- is Duke Leto, um, and just this list is kind of like a it's a spot on like oh hey these guys are hot in Hollywood. Um, what haven't we remade in a while? Let's remake yeah. Zune. Um, Zoom. <laughs> you know they should come out with Zoom again. At, I, 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 I buy a Zoom. I, don't, yeah. I was <laughs> looking at the fact that uh, Zendaya, MJ from the Spider Man, the new Spider Man <laughs> movies, is playing Channy. So I'm kind it's of going a, to be very interesting to see what they're going to actually do with this. I'm worried about it in some ways, just because Dune. I to me, it is not an action film. I think the what what people try to go with, and I think this is why the movie from '84. Um, is some ways divisive is because I think visually the the movie does some amazing things. You know, I think some of those I- the imagery from the movie will be stuck with people um, till the end of time. Yeah, it's, like you know, blo- stupid Sardaukar block outfits. <laughs> look like you're uh, walking into a metal encasement to go fight people. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, th- those are crazy. Yeah. But that's that's a sign of the times. That was a sign of the time. But I think there will be a lot in the advancements since, you know, 84 and without, you know, the old TV budgets. I think right. a lot of the advancements in the in special effects and CGI will actually add a lot to oh, I think the, so. the immersive properties of being able to get in there. I'm just hoping it's a l- mildly decent script. Right. Yeah. Because this book is so deep and it's really not an action movie. It, it I actually think it would it would be serviced better as a a long more longer-winded Game of Thrones style. Like a mini series. Mini series. More, more of a mini series. Yeah, uh, Skarsgård is Baron Harkonnen. Oh, that's really nice. Well, <laughs> speaking of the movies, all I did was watch the movie for this. Yeah, so Luke, how about your exposure <laughs> to this? Right. Uh, well, last night. So Luke, you've never re- you have never read the book. So you're going in your no no book. Read the book, and since we had such a heavy panel on this one, I figured I'd take the, a back seat on it. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I was prepared to rent it on iTunes or on Amazon Prime, but right. the all-knowing overlords of the internet <laughs> knew that I wanted to see it, and Amazon Prime told me, "Hey, look what we just got <laughs> in my recommended section." I and I had not Googled a single thing about, about Dune. And it's just like, we recommend this for you. Okay, get out of my house. <laughs> um, so that is my only... I watched the movie last night. Right. Um, You'd never seen it before that. I'd never seen it before was that. There, was I there any aware... What was your awareness of Dune growing up? Were you uh, aware of this movie? No. No, I, I, but I, I guess the imagery, yes. Okay. The gigantic uh, worms in the sand, but you know, I probably had mixed it up with Tremors. I was gonna say Tremors is Dune, <laughs> Dune done up with Kevin Bacon. Texas yeah. Dune. Texas, Texas Dune. Dune. Or is it Oklahoma? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is how rebels do Dune. <laughs> they don't step on the floor. Um, that Frank Herbert's a Yankee. Can we talk? <laughs> Kevin Bacon is Duncan Idaho. Can we can we take a tan- can we take a tangent and talk about ass blasters or is that just too much? <laughs> that was the third one. That's right? the third one. Third, third movie. Third I, I, okay, I love Tremors. I I love Tremors. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, but hey, I so yeah, I just watched the movie on Amazon Prime last night, uh, and I will explain what I thought. When we get there, <laughs> but that's I think did we go we we got all the way around the table? No, Club, oh no, club, I no, I was oh, yeah, club did. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I had mentioned my first again, oh, no. like Danny, my first experience was the 1984 movie, and then catching like weird like being at my buddy's house who actually had satellite dishes and stuff, catching some you know every now and then. I remember the, the catching day, what every on satellite with your friends? Yes, 
the, those fuzzy channels. I lived on oh. the, I lived on the, I grew up on the middle of nowhere. We didn't have cable, so occasionally the one friend, the one rich friend, had a satellite dish. <laughs> you can slowly turn it, and yeah, and you would have, yes, <laughs> they would actually have to turn. Yes, that that fifty footer on the front yard. Yeah, yep. my grandpa had one, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing what is it. Uh, it's uh, Dune High Lords or Dune Warriors or whatever is the David Carradine one. <laughs> oh, is, so is I, it like a ripoff or something? No, it's like one of like the. It, it's supposed to be the same universe. Is it really? I've never heard of that. What? Um, but I'm just I'm looking here too, and I'm looking. We talked about the new cast list. Going over the old cast list, I'm just I'd forgotten. How, I haven't seen the old '84 movie in years, but I'd forgotten. How, Linda Hunt. Playing Shadow Mapes, I remember that being the image in my head of Shadow Mapes. Anyways, the she's the tiny little woman right. from NCIS Los Angeles. Um, oh, she is. <laughs> oh my God, that's good. Yeah, or from 007. Okay. Brad Dorif oh. as uh, Brad Dorif is the assassin yeah. Peter. Brad Dorif is the original voice of Chucky. <laughs> oh oh my wow. God. But so that was my star-studded line. And I remember going back and reading it. I didn't actually read Dune until college. Right. A lot of you had your uh, coital awakening in, in college, it appears. It, appear, um, it appears that it was. <laughs> um, and my exposure to Dune uh, is very similar, where I was always aware of the movie. I, I remember uh, grabbing picture books from the library, looking at it, thinking it was cool, because, of course, they'd show you all the greatest things from the movie. Um, and then I had a, I'd never seen the movie, could never find it, and then I had a friend, uh, friend of the show, Clint, um, he would always be like, you got to watch Dune, you got to watch Dune. And I swear, Dune is a movie that I have tried to watch five, six times. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I'd ever finished it until before this podcast. Finally, I'm sitting down, I am watching this from front to back, but it was accessible to me once I had read the book. So having read the book, mm-hmm. watching the movie made more sense. I always wanted to like the movie, and I think visually it's pretty... Stunning for the time, kind of. I mean, what do, I, you, what do you mean you did not like the movie? I it's going to be okay. I, can I talk about how uh, reticent I am for this podcast? Just because people what problems who, could you possibly have? People, <laughs> people who love Dune really love Dune, uh, and people who don't, you know, don't. But I'm really worried that any any kind of mm. opinion. Even questioning anything about Dune. This is America. Yeah, it could result in death. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Dune sucks. Yeah, <laughs> but but in all honesty, I, I do. I think visually the mo- the movie is great, but gosh, it is a snore fest. Well, I said to you, me. Bob, uh, previously, it's combination is the best. Fight it, Danny doesn't agree. What do you think? So, that hurts, man. The hurts. big DP. What, what, so, so are, are, is it a near and dear movie to your heart? And again, I think when you watch it as a kid, yeah, that, that's I understand something different. That, yeah. But buckle up, buddy. When you go the to a blocky it, shields, you don't like the shield generators? No, they're terrible. No. The blocky shields. <laughs> again, I, I know, no joke. I, I like looked down to send a text message, looked up, and they were in those. I'm like, what the hell <laughs> is wrong with my TV? Black man. <laughs> Black man versus Black man. Well, yeah, like I see like oh, Patrick Stewart. I'm excited about that. Cool. I'd fight him in a lock. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, somebody 
tried to render something with a Nintendo 64. Yeah. <laughs> it was from the 80s. Yeah, and I'm not a snob about that because, like, I love I am. the old uh, Sid and Marty Croft's, like, Land of Land of the Lost, and I'll subject my children to that, and I can look over at their dying faces, <laughs> and I can realize, like, this isn't as cool as Jurassic Park, is it, kids? Um, but so but I still love it because I grew up with it. So, Danny, you growing up with the movie, and in all honesty, I hadn't grown up with it. I had seen parts of it with friends in high school, but it never was. It never got in, you know, into my bloodstream uh, at that perfect age. So now going back at thirty nine, mm, it was well, rough. That's was rough. one of the movies I can't watch with my wife. Does long, she make fun of it? She doesn't like it. The same with because it's uh, it's Flash. pretty long. What's the uh, <laughs> Um, I made her watch it. Man, Flash is tough did too. Not like it. Flash is I tough. Great though. The theme songs are great. You have to look at the, again. You have to look at the time period that it was done in. And you have to enjoy it for the time period it was done in. I mean, you can you can look at it right now and as people do with a lot of things and go, oh my god, I can't believe they did that. You know, putting putting Max von Sydow in Asian face and you yeah. know, everything else. But you you have to enjoy it just like the original Tron. Yeah, oh, you no, have I to agree. enjoy it for the time period it comes from. Yep. I, I, and my problem actually with the movie is, is visually, I everything except for the shields, uh, the shields I, and some of those spaceships. Yeah, I see. I think everything for the time looks actually pretty good, and I think pretty forward thinking some of the designs of things, um, especially the rooms and things. If you just mm-hmm. take, if you ever pause the movie and look at what they designed within the spaces, it's it's pretty remarkable. It was they could have. I mean, we did talk about it before how. Okay, Star Wars came out after the book, but these Dune movie came out after Star Wars. Like putting it into that context, yeah, they should have done what Star Wars did and went more practical with everything. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. And I and and that's why I think I'm probably on my own in saying this, uh, just for people in my age group that. The original Star Wars holds up to me. Right. I throw that in on a Blu-ray and have zero issues. I mean, yep. minus yep. you know Cloud City when they're running by on the belt. Yeah, or right. There's some bad blue screening going on, but right. For the none of the part. spaceships, none of nothing out in outer space looks bad. No, I no, I agree with that. It's no ice pirates. To, I love I love ice pirates, <laughs> which that's 85. That's like 85, and it might actually in some places oh. look better in space, um, but. For me, it's it's too it what well, it's ambitious. But if you haven't read the book, there's a lot of things that wouldn't like a general audience. I can imagine a general audience that knows nothing about the book going in and sitting through that. Like now, having read the book, I watch it and go, "This is this is enjoyable yeah, because gotta, I know what's coming." Right? Combo it. You gotta do. You combo. gotta combo it. Like if you. So hey, my, well, my recommendation: you gotta it. read the book. Wait, and why why, why don't we stop talking about it and really start talking about it? Yeah, let's get or into did the you, book. Did you get into your uh, Bob? Did you get into your how you were exposed? I don't think we did. Oh, yeah. as far as reading the book, yeah. I, the first time ever reading the book uh, was basically for this podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because okay. I've always meant to get to Dune, and it is a large tome, and we've always had other things to read and everything else. Mm-hmm. I, I put it on the back burner because I really wanted to give it the due time. I mean, it's it's treated among sci-fi fans as being the one of the holy grails. Uh, you know, one of the greatest science fiction epics of all time. And so when I read Dune, I wanted to sit down and just really read Dune. I just want to read that. That being said, I did listen to it on audiobook as well. Um, which I can I can say this. I struggled through. There is right now awesome versions for free on YouTube. Um, a guy or had uploaded them. Or there were at the time of this recording. Uh, there were at the time of this recording. Um, and I don't know where they're from, though, because... What odd versions. It starts out um, where there's people acting out the parts, 
So that might be the Audible version. But I think it more, whoever put it up either did a really good job of marrying a bunch of different versions of audiobooks mm. together because the recording style doesn't seem to change except for that the voice acting falls out. So you'll have like the Baron saying something and then all of a sudden it'll be an actor talking and then it'll just be a narrator <laughs> saying what he's saying. And so in all honesty, a lot of this book I found confusing and I need to go back before we do part two and reread some of those other parts because I'm confused on some things because the audio book I listened to was really horrendous. And like I said before, <laughs> the, the audible version is awesome. The audible version is really good and fairly easy to follow once you get into the colloidal rhythm. <laughs> Call me, I'll read it. <laughs> I'll read that quite a little. Ted's number is uh, so. Book one. I agree with Luke, though. Let's get into this. Let's again. We've talked long enough here uh, about the beginning we've, stuff. We've do you have, what, what, what else do we have on good old Frankie Boy? Oh well, a little background into this book uh, before I guess we get into it. The idea of how he came up with this, I thought was bizarre because I kind of because nothing's been bizarre up until this point. Well, <laughs> dude, yes. But I, <laughs> quite a rhythm isn't bad enough. But in 1953 is when the germ of this book was planted, I guess, in his head. He was reading an article, and I don't know what for. I didn't delve deep enough into Frank Herbert to see, hey, what is he doing in 53, or what is he writing? I'm assuming he was still writing science fiction, or was writing science fiction in the 50s. Um, but he was writing an article, or reading an article on the control of sand dunes. I guess Florence, Oregon, they were having uh, this problem of sand dunes from the coast getting blown up over Highway 1. And they're, yeah. so he's, I mean, you'd, you'd, you would hope that dune would come to the guy in some sort of epic way. But he's reading some sort of ecology magazine about sand dunes blowing across Highway 1. And then he's, and he, from there he just started extrapolating like, well... That sounds pretty dangerous. What if there is a whole world covered in sand dunes? You know, and he just started going with it. And like we've talked on this show before, he was a big fan, like Lucas and everybody else at the time, of the Combellian archetype. And so he overlaid, obviously, if you go with a sand dune planet, then you go with kind of a Middle Eastern flavor. Messiah elements started coming in there. Yep. The, the whole deal. Um, so I, I thought it was really good. And it, so I'll talk more about kind of uh, some of the ideas that he was coming up with as we get to them in the novel. But uh, I really liked it, right down to the Fremen and, and the backgrounds to them and religions and desert environments. Some cool stuff. Right. So, yeah. But I guess plot synopsis this time, I usually do them, but we have passed it off to the all-time fan side of the table with... <laughs> Ted and Double DP are the fans fanboys of this one. So Ted, do you got ourselves a plot synopsis? Yes, PG on this one, PG folks. Uh, so Dune obviously considered one of the greatest sci-fi novels of all time. Won the Hugo Award and the Nebula Award uh, for outstanding science fiction. Published in 1965. Um, our setting with Dune is the distant future within an interstellar society in which noble houses control planets. Uh, its plot follows the coming-of-age tale of Paul Atreides, whose family leaves its home planet of Caladan and accepts control of the planet Arrakis in a deal with the House Harkonnen, facilitated by the Emperor Padishah. Uh, on Arrakis, the most powerful substance in the universe is harvested, the spice melon. It extends life and increases mental abilities, allowing some to even fold space-time, travel great distances, obviously, and have waking dreams, uh, much like Paul has. 
So as Paul's family takes over Arrakis and he rises to fulfill this destiny of Quetzalcaterac, the supreme being of the universe, uh, he eventually then avenges his father's assassination, which is facilitated by the Harkonnens and their doctor. Mwadib! Mwadib! Um, they're aware of this plot, of course, but Paul's father thinks they can still avoid tragedy. However, after uh, Paul's father's death, he then is hunted uh, by the Harkonnens. He escapes their custody with his mother, Jessica, the Bene Gesserit witch. And then she teaches him to harvest his power while out in the desert uh, in the southern part of Arrakis. They eventually run into the Fremen, who are sand people of Dune. They take him in and believe he and Jessica are the answers to an old Fremen prophecy that details the rise of a messiah who will overtake the universe and lead the Fre uh, Fremen out of their planetary submission. So, eventually, as Paul uh, sees in his waking dreams, he does indeed rise to become... And he heads a new religion within the Fremen, forcing a bloody jihad in his name across the universe and overthrowing the Padishah Harkonnen alliance. Paul marries the Emperor's daughter, Princess Urulan, and retains his Fremen wife, Chani, as his concubine. Chani? Chani? Yes, Paul uh, does struggle with this idea of whether or not he should seize divine control <laughs> over his newly controlled empire. Uh, so I ask you, is Paul a superhero who righted a wrong and restored justice to the universe? Or is Paul a charismatic, power-hungry deity who caused more suffering than ever thought possible? Ooh. After riding this wormy journey, perhaps you will find an answer to that question. So let's get to it. Spice time. <laughs> 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 Actually, you raise a good question. So, Paul is what? It, what? Actually, we should probably save that for yes. part two. But we yeah. will. We will pretend. Deep, let's pretend in this podcast that none of the other books exist necessarily. I know we'll be calling on the big DP here to let us know about maybe what happens in other books. But in terms of our knowledge of of the legitimacy of Paul being a deity or not, you know, did he buy into his own hype or not? I think that's for Dune Messiah. Yes. Uh, and the further on books. Right. Um, but okay, so let's get into it. Let's start out, first of all, with this this entire Dune universe. What I, I find interesting is almost right away we're, th we're thrown into a universe where we find out very quick that uh, mankind is thriving without computers. Mm. What, oh, I yes. think, what I think is really smart about the universe that Herbert created is that it is this future universe okay let me back up by saying one of the problems of reading old sci-fi a lot of the times is the tech doesn't hold up right because the, a lot of right you'd be what you could be reading or watching uh, modern sci-fi and the tech hardly holds hardly up. holds up right Jules so, Verne only in Jules Verne I would say <laughs> that Herbert did a really smart PKD. thing by ejecting most of the tech from his novel hey smart. we're going to have a, we're going to have a futuristic sci-fi environment but we're going to keep it more mythical feeling and say that there was this butlerian jihad is it that happened <laughs> You say Butlerian? Butlerian. But, butlerian. I'm gonna. I've done that you know, three times this week. You know, we we are down in the Twin Cities, and I ate at this fantastic burrito place that I'm gonna throw out there called New Wave Burritos. But after I was done eating that one, I had a Butlerian jihad. Oh jeez. Wow. Many things have waged jihad upon my butt. <laughs> no lie. No lie. <laughs> 
But anyway, uh, he he ejects all of this from his novel so that you're not just as I ejected doing my my Butlerian. Go on, But but that puts this novel in the position of being timeless because you're not going. You to... You are right. If, if there's something I do have to give it a, a, yeah. a big old thumbs up on, yeah. I never cringed because of the computers. <laughs> well, yeah, it's that, true. Computers have a weird connection to sci-fi yeah. for any number of Definitely. reasons. Very. But they, they're not synonymous ever. Like, mm. science fiction doesn't mean let's have computers and robots in our stories. Like, although, you know, a lot of them didn't, especially in a certain time period. But this does kind of buck that trend of, like, weird Twilight Zone robot ideas. Right. Um, oh, yeah. With, with just a, an alternate universe in a some forward advanced time. Right. It's the great. Word. It does allow for a lot of... Um, it doesn't cause you to suspend a lot of belief about what might be happening, so you can just kind of focus on the uh, 700 pages of concise literature. Right, and I like how <laughs> things have, have morphed into there. there is this red, the orange Catholic Bible, so we still have kind of quasi-religion hanging out, but all I think in the novel, about the only thing we're given about what this Catholicism that's remaining might say is that thou shalt not make a computer in the image of a man. Right. Yes. So, so you have this anti-computer kind of thing. But what I think is fantastic, this book was written in '65, right? So we're we're riding the waves of of the hippies at this point. LSD. This is totally Timothy Leary because at the time LSD was being preached as being something that was going to expand your mind. You know, uh, what was it? They uh, turn on, tune in, drop out. Yep. Right. Like that entire idea. So this is a manifesto. No, about you're totally right. That that is a very cool idea that there are no computers and there is a reason why. Because we do, you don't need them because humans, you have the mentats. Who, Spice Melange has allowed humans to expand their consciousness mm -hmm. to such a degree that you have people running. You have humans that have morphed even their own body types to look like. I think they're described as like kind of fish-like or whatever. Um, I still only, I only have... I only have the images from the movie in my mind, but that they can fold space-time, right? Right. Because their mind, their consciousness has expanded yeah. through the use of spice. You have mentats. Like, everything that computers would normally do in those higher-level realms are now is now being done by mind-altering drugs. Yeah, true. Which I think, I mean, is a, a really cool concept. Well, and even, even when you look at a lot of the Betty Jesuit stuff that's talked about, too, and right. a lot of it's it's computation. Oh, yeah. Uh, for sure, and one you're also at this time period having kind of the belief in ESP and telepathy going on. Was well, a cable sports network? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like a lot That's of that kind of idea. a lot of the '60s, '70s kind of cultish ideas are being kind of sprinkled all over this novel, and I, I, I really like it. Um, and that's so, why Matt Lauer had a button under his desk. <laughs> Folding space-time, you enter another dimension, my friend. <laughs> and by the way, though, unlike LSD, can I say Spice Milan? What the <laughs> hell? Well, you're talking about big red buttons, computers, that's what he called it. Slap my computer button, door shuts, you're done. <laughs> Have a good life. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the Dune universe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it's oh, also 100% natural, man. It comes from the worm. Yeah. Right? The spice True. comes from the worm. Well, yes. And let me ask you guys I'm this. <laughs> we're in 10, we're in 10,191 as our year. Okay. Yeah. Is this, because I, I, I have, I've always debated this in my head and I've read a bunch of things online. 
Is this supposed to be the whole Earth-Mars thing? I have looked this up, and I don't know, because I I immediately, when reading it, thought, this is our galaxy, and this is Earth versus Mars, the whole thing. I don't know. I couldn't find that that's what... That's not the case. Never entered my mind, ever. Really? But, I mean, no, it did, but not um, not as, as what I interpreted. See, Dune was always so. Mars to me. I, the whole time I was reading it, I was waiting for the other foot to... Or listening to it. Well, I was waiting for the other yeah. foot to fall, or something to be dropped that was referencing that Dune was Mars. I wouldn't... I mean, it's easy to make that connection, especially right. with hidden water supplies. Dude, Everyone dude, thinks Mars has Desert water. Desert planet's Tatooine. Get out of here. Yeah, man. <laughs> Is Tatooine Whoa, Mars? Oh, dude. <laughs> Either that, you know, I wouldn't put ever going to find the rover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which those, they look, the Chome things look like this Mars rover. You did it. <laughs> or, or, or we find out it's Earth. Um, you know, after after the after the apocalypse mm-hmm. and the spice is actually parts of Earth from the radiation. or you know, yeah. But I always felt like this was our galaxy. And yeah. Because, and that was why it was the whole... You know, push so far, so very far in the future. But I believe that it's not. I, I think there's probably fan people out there just screaming. I, I'm pretty sure this is not our universe. Not at all. No way. No. 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 What do you got to share there, uh, Big DP? We got. Is there <laughs> is there any ever confirmation in other books? Yeah. About this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're oh, far over. It is not Earth. Okay. Not Earth. Not Earth. Soul. It is not soul. Okay. Your Earth, man. But as we get into this book, uh, the spice melange that's flowing out into all of the universe basically has broken society into kind of three major industries, it feels like, around the spice, which all of this is very intricate and it feels very real. He really did a nice job of setting a universe up where, okay, if, if, if a mind-altering spice is now the center of the universe, what would that look like? Well, you'd... Space capitalism. Yeah, Kind of, well, I don't know that I'd call it that. I just made it like a uh, connect us to communism. Do it. Syst- do it. I would know. I would say it's a system wide <laughs> drug. Do it, you wuss. It's do a, it. It's a. It's a system. It's a fiefdom. Yeah. It's a system-wide drug cartel. Yeah. yeah, is what is what it is. You have you have the workers. You have the field workers. So you still have blue-collar workers. You've got the spacing guild, basically just your drug mules that are yep. hauling everything around the galaxy. Yep. And then you've got your various gang precincts. All of these houses that hang. And the out. emperor is your lead. The emperor is the the lead drug lord. And then you have these dukes and these barons that are all the lieutenants that go down. Mm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Through the through the drug. And company. it's pretty lawless. What I what I love is there's what. There's like nukes. They can use nukes on each other, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Well, like, you know, within reason. As long as you get a letter from the emperor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can nuke them now. Yeah, it's it's okay. So I love the universe uh, that that is uh, that is set up here. But let's get to uh, to chapter one, right? Uh, and we open up. What, is it on Caladan? Yes. That we open up yes. the, where the family Atreides, which is where our Messiah will come from. Mm-hmm. Um, You're also first introduced to Paul in his bedroom, listening to his mother and another Bene Gesserit lady uh, plan his box test. So he's got to stick it in the box and then hold I it. Knew, it I knew you were going to dirty. What do you mean? This Clo- is factual. <laughs> Club is uh, the last place I went. What's in the box? It's actually yes. a burning box. Uh, you just stick it in there. He sticks it in his hand. The, and yes, it's the Betty Jesuit. Yeah, and, uh, and it's like, an ointment for it if it burns. <laughs> but it is. How are we going to edit this episode? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Please, please take note of the little E next to the episode. <laughs> Somehow Xanth didn't do it, but Dune did. <laughs> the most serious novel we've done 
What's in the box? And I do love, and I do, I do actually love the very, very beginning of the opening with the old lady coming in with the whole oh, pro- yeah. the prophecy yeah, it's aspect. A prophecy, man. And then right, and he sticks his hand in the box. His hand burns for a while. Hey, you did it. A boy is not supposed to be able to do that. I did like the way that he was setting up with everything. And then it's and and then it you hit a wall. And then this is where it started dragging for me was until they get off of Caladan. Hmm. It was just I, I I'm watching people pack their boxes at home. Why why am I watching these people move? Why 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 am I listening to these people move? Why am I reading about these people moving? Oh, right. And then it becomes the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> but I love all of the tropes that are thrown in here. He knows how to start something off. Now this has gotten to be, I guess. Uh, a trope of all fantasy science fiction that maybe now has been overused, but at the time this was written, I mean, the idea, he's really kind of harkening back to Moses or any of those, kind of a chosen leader, um, right? And as a child, he is something special, and he's been given all this undue attention, um, and the Bene Gesserit themselves have this great feel of of witches, like the Greek oracles. They feel to me like Greek oracles, Yes, um, where they are... They can be good, they can be benign, they can also be evil. Like, she, I, when she comes in, I really feel this evil presence in some way. Well, and, it's, and, and the whole idea of the Bene Gesserit is so shadowy. And yeah. we, through our omniscient narrator here, have the ability to, we, we see Jessica's thoughts where she thinks about things. We see a little bit of the old lady's thoughts where she thinks mm-hmm. about things. And so we're given a sneak peek into, oh God, they're like some, this is like the, this is like the Illuminati Assassin Society or something's going on under the table here right. that nobody else in the society knows about. Especially when they start talking about like how they plant myths and stuff on different planets and all right. this other stuff. Yeah, they allow, they allow religions as a, a mess, method of control. But here we wrote, we wrote the book differently, so you'll do what we want you to do. Yeah. No, I agree. And beyond that, uh, it seems like it, it's a, a weird flip that the society is a society that seems to be um, not very progressive when it comes to women. You see, it seems to be very much led by men, at least in this first novel. Weird. Um, you know, uh, the concubines can be kept and all of that kind of thing. Yet the Bene Gesserit seem to be powerful, but they're powerful because of their seer. They are seers. And it seems like they jack with the genetics a lot, right? Oh, like, yeah. Well, they're powerful because they're in the shadows. They're, everything's right. underneath. And like you said, it is a it is a very male-dominated society. She is his concubine. Jessica's not his wife. Right. He won't take her as his wife for political reasons because that way he could still maybe make an alliance with another house or make the other houses believe he could make an alliance with them. <laughs> right. Which, again, that's some of the politics that I was really into. I just don't want to watch them pack anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, the uh, Bini Jezret, they were, they are, they do control the breeding. Yeah. Like the uh, higher houses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. So they are kind of in control. So were they given that position? Like, are they, is that something they've taken on themselves? Or was there some sort of planning process that went into this whole thing? I mean, where did the Bene Gesserit get, are we ever let in on how they got their power? Or no. Or got the abilities. That comes later when Paul's sister is born. I think you get a better sense of the the way that the Ben and Jezreel powers were handed down. My brother, my brother sees you. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of like book three, so I don't know if right. you want to go wow. there right now. Yeah, wow. for sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, yeah sure. Essentially, like at through their ceremony, um, and when you're when one Ben and Jezreel witch dies, Jessica. 
or in other benedictions, or it would absorb like generation upon generation of knowledge and okay. power, and then of course like the ability to manipulate other people. All of that strengthened. It's almost like Highlander when he goes through the quick. Oh, I was just gonna right? say Highlander. Adrian Paul with his dog face, uh, dopey dog face. Are you <laughs> running down yeah. Adrian Paul in a right boat. now? Wow. Nice boathouse, Dink. I, my uh, dream expensive of that boathouse was. Yeah, my dream was to live go in go a boat move. in France <laughs> like oh he did God. and play chess. Sean Connery's the only Islander. Okay. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> whoa! 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 Yeah. I'm gonna start killing people. <laughs> shingles, shingles, you say. Tell, tell me of this place yeah. called Scotland for which oh. I know nothing of. Adrian Paul is my favorite Highland. <laughs> that, he is the best. He's the worst. Christopher uh, Lambert can so go. Christopher second. Lambert. I had <laughs> one of my Christopher Lambert. All right, wait. <laughs> so, back to the Bene Gesserit women. Um, well, and this idea of... I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I, but this idea of genetic memory, him writing about genetic memory in the 60s is yeah. hugely before its time here. Yeah, true. It's wild, man. So, I mean, essentially... Alia is born, uh, but because she's in the womb when Jessica drinks, uh, you know, your death water, uh, she then is absorbed. She absorbs all of that knowledge through Jessica of like generation upon generation right. of older women. Since she's the creepy abomination who can like read your mind, speak <laughs> in her weird voice and just stare at you. <laughs> and, and everybody's super un, unnerved by her, and that's the reason, right? Like, yeah. So right. I. That genetic power, both in manipulation and in handing it down, I think was crucial. I agree. Uh, and you learn that later. I think at first you just really you get a sense that Bene Gesserits are powerful women. They're right. deeply respected by everybody, but not oh, everybody really sure. understands everything they can. The do. emperor himself has has uh, pretty much her ear all the right. time, and they're She's aware that their her. voices can manipulate you because Baron Harkonnen tells his men. Yeah. Obviously, they they have her mouth covered and Paul's. Mm. Um, so. Which, which basically, this is hearkening to Greek, the sirens pulling you to the rock. The Bene Gesserits could pull you to the rock. Yes. Uh, right? Which I, which I kind of like. Um, but we find out Jessica is a rebel. Uh, she had Paul, but she wasn't supposed to have a male child. <gasps> right. Right? Uh, because the Bene Gesserits can also manipulate uh, the gender of the child before born, and she was supposed to have a daughter at the first time. To do exactly what you just said. Right. Mm. Right? I wanted a boy... I don't know. Um, <laughs> and she gets scolded for that right in that first scene. Yeah, um, right. And I, I again, we go back. We talked about the the box scene, but how great is this as an opening? It is. Yeah. This really grabs you. Um, and I think it, it, it's the test. Right. It's the test that doesn't really give you an answer. Right. It gives you an answer of okay, well, I guess you're more than we thought you were, but we have no idea how, how much more. Right. right. I like I liked it better when Darrow did it. Uh, can I say that was highway robbery? <laughs> no, no. I, you know, I yes, he definitely took influence from it. I wouldn't call it highway robbery though. Oh, it was close. It was real close. I, there was I, there was I, real I, there was real threat when Darrow did it in the Red Rising series, but this was this it was all just like in what his mean? head. He moves his no. hand, he dies. She's no. got the needle to his neck, man. She's, she's, like, she's not gonna kill him. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, it was gonna happen. She didn't want him there in the first kill. place. Yeah, she he want she wants him dead. Not, I'm going off the movie. Okay, <laughs> I got her deadpan face. I will kill you. <laughs> and him, That's like, what I would say to you. I will kill you. I don't want to die. <laughs> In what year did they start acting? When did that happen? Oh, wow. Jeez. I'm oh, sorry, Danny. I really do feel bad. Let it out. Danny, you got to let it yeah, out. Yeah, what are you thinking? Fire back, man. It's, we're we're no, audio. They can't see your face. I, feel, I right. feel bad. I really do. No, I'm just saying. I mean, I watched Star Wars 1. 
And I'm like, eh. Episode one or? Ep- well, the original. Four. The original. No, no, you were like, huh? No, and I watched Uncle it again. Owen. I watched Uncle it again, Owen. and it's like, ah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I liked it when I was younger. So Right, right. Yeah, Mark Hamill. A whiny baby. Yeah, but I go back. To, I, I do. Th- I do think that old Pierce Brown uh, did state that he's a pretty big Dune fan. I think he was homaging that that whole thing. I would say the stakes probably for yeah. me are about the same. But um, but man, uh, it really sets I think a high bar. Like you were saying, Ted, about the simplicity of his writing style. You know, where it's very accessible. Um, it paints some really awesome pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if besides the worms, this is probably one of the the parts that sticks in most. Laity <laughs> people who people yeah. who the people who don't necessarily know Dune. Uh, this is one of the things that people would would still know from doing this yeah. this box. Really cool. So, what is the whole thing about him being a human or not? What is that about? What are what are your thoughts on? So, the Benny Jesuit seemed to be pretty jerk. <laughs> Why is she um, being all high minded about who is a more, human and who is it? Racist, and I'm not really on board with reading a racist book. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it is it instinct? Is a human uh, animals work on instinct? So if he pulls his hand out, he's being instinctual. Right. Um, his his logic is overcoming instinct for yes. this box. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I get weird Blade Runner flashes in my mind when we definitely. talk about this part. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and I can't really describe it in the greatest way, but you get that sense. Uh, it's a test. Um, and one way to see if you're an animal or not, or if you have instinctual, if you can control um, your instincts when needed. Similar to, I just get that weird visual of the movie of shining a light into uh, Daryl Hand. Well, no, one of the androids' eyes. Yeah. Like, but I think overall, I think the the look at that is the gender. Like he's not supposed to be a boy, um, but has both the abilities of females and males in right. a weird way. He's like a hybrid. I yep. think that, to me, was the part that grabbed me. Um, not so much, like, God, deity, not human, human. I don't know. To me, it was right. the, the focus was on that gender issue. Well, and I looked at it, too, as, you know, she was kind of gauging where his power was sitting right now. Because especially later on, um, when he talks about not being able, when, when things click for him, mm-hmm. and he talks about not being able to feel emotion, and not and so I'm, I'm really weirded out by, okay, which side is he supposed to be on here? He's his own side, is really? he? Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing is, you look at the Benny Jesuits. The Benny Jesuits are supposed to be. That's why Jessica is such a rebel. Mm-hmm. Is it, they're supposed to be the pure logic. It is this is the this is the course you're supposed to take. This is the job you're supposed to do. This is how you are supposed to do it. And so him being instinctual or him not following the path that's been designed for him. Right. right. Well, and I, I also think that kind of going to what you said, Ted, about how you felt about both male and female parts kind of playing something within within him. Um, what I'm taking from that is that um, we're talking about a book again written in the 60s and what is he what he what is Herbert doing? He's homaging patriarchal uh, monotheistic religions of uh, of uh, you know a desert environment, right? So he's in some ways bringing up, 
which usually God is seen as masculine, right? But in the 60s, you have this influx of people who are talking about the sacred feminine mm-hmm. and, and goddess worship, right? right? And I think he's keying in on some of that, and he's saying, okay, so if you if we really want to reach into this new age to, to bring about this uh, Messiah who will lead us into balance with our ecology, into balance with with um, the corruption of government, which again, that's a, a play on what was going on in government at the time, that then what really people need to do is, first of all, use mind-expanding drugs. The second all... Step one. you Step one. Step two, you merge together... With uh, a lady. <laughs> you merge with her, but you merge together the the ma- masculine godhead with the sacred feminine, and you make this. Thanks for that. Yes, thank you. It's like Dan Brown. Hold on, let me. Oh God! <laughs> it's really hard for me to get, take all this from you wearing a fluffy dwarven helmet. I am wearing a dwarven helmet right now, and it's Bob has horns. <laughs> and I just said all that. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, so Leto decides to drag his family. From from the beautiful planet of Caladan, he gets the appointment to oversee Arrakis after the Harkonnens have been kicked out. Right. And so he drags his, he decides to go live on the planet, even though all his visors go, no, you can run stuff from like your nice house on Caladan. Like, no, I need to be there for the people, for I am the Duke. <laughs> and so he drags his, he drags his uh, family halfway across the universe here. Right. Or to planet C. Yeah. Um, <laughs> planet Arrakis. And so the Atreides, they, we eventually get to Arrakis. The Duke goes off and does Duke stuff, and now we're unpacking boxes with Jessica. <laughs> Hanging <laughs> pictures up on the wall? Yes. <laughs> hey, she was. Picture boar's true. heads up on the wall. <laughs> Freaking sweet, dude. <laughs> there might be a reason why it's as long as it is. <laughs> it's Some people might call it world building. <laughs> um, I call it essential. <laughs> Unpack those boxes, Jessica. How am I supposed to know where all your freaking knickknacks go? <laughs> uh, I, I just watched the movie. I, don't I really think know. that I think about. that a lot can be gleaned about a character by seeing all of their knickknacks. <laughs> like I think there's something very smart being well, done. Well, and there is the is, co- that, is that innuendo? I don't know. I hide all well, of my knickknacks in a safe. And when we t- it does give us a it does give I will admit it does give us a peek into the Duke and Jessica's relationship. <laughs> But she's like, oh, it's the boar head in the picture of your dad or grandpa. Um, we're gonna go. I'm gonna go put this over here. And he's like, no, damn it, you're gonna put that in the dining room where it belongs, so everybody can see it. Put it next to my NASCAR plates, okay? <laughs> well, what is a relationship between the Duke and Jessica? I see it as behind the scenes, very equal, um, in front of public. Uh, I he's still in, in command of everything, right. but of course, like his. There are many interactions with them before he, his assassination, in which mm-hmm. there are kind of tender moments between the two. He's there trying are. to he's trying to intimate that, regardless of the situation, he still loves her in some way, and she is accepting of that. It's almost as if they like very long ago came to this agreement, right. um, and are there for each other. So there, the weird um, transition is when those two working together turns into Jessica and Paul working together and really throughout the story whether it's Chunny or uh, Jessica or the Duke the male-female relationship is what ends up conquering this this problem or this winning this battle um, Paul would not do it without a woman um, whether that's his mom or his wife so 
It's kind of, it carries on. It's like an important theme. Yeah, like, uh, I agree. the Duke is sometimes dismissed as being a like cold maybe or a jerk, but mm-hmm. he, that's all that's all on the outside. But so I think good. that's I yeah he may he is dismissed as that sometimes, and I agree with you, Ted. Um, we get some of these little pictures of them where he's playing his part in society, mm-hmm. and he has to play his part in society as being I am the Duke and I am the I, and being that cold royalty. But it's that's the part he's playing. The real Leto are these couple intimate moments we get, these couple times where we jump in his head where he's worried about his kid's future and things mm-hmm. like that. And right. before uh, Jessica teaches him all of the Bene Gesserit ways, uh, his dad does say to him, don't, don't follow the ways of a mentat. I think in a way to tell him if he's ever going to lead people, he has to have, he needs to have feelings or empathy or compassion. Right. Uh, he should not like forego that for better mm-hmm. pro, uh, processing or intelligence or whatever that might give him. I think his dad tried to impart that to him before he died, which was part of what he carried with him then when he's in the desert with Jessica yeah. and when he's leading the Fremen and when he's Ted dealing with Data. Leadership. D- Spock, Spock and Data are very important to your crew, to your cast, but. You want Picard or Kirk, who is a full human being, Don't worry, Picard, to Ted. lead. Right. <laughs> Ted, aren't Mentats drugs and Fallout? It, it, that's very true. <laughs> yes, I've taken many. Uh, I'm eating it's, some it's, right it's, now. No, I, I, <laughs> he opens his L Watching that movie last night and them, hearing them say Mentats over and over, I'm like, I know that word from somewhere. Right. Why do I know that? And then just, it just clicked yeah. when you were talking. It is a Fallout oh, wow. Yes. But but see what do they what what do they do in Fallout for? Uh, they increase your mental ability. They increase your mental. Ab- I'm, right, sure it's I'm sure oh, it's, it's a show. I'm sure it's a show. Yeah, if yeah. they they increase your mental ability, well, I, they I allow you to it's, see it's, clearer. It's either that or it's a joke on it looking like Mentos. Maybe both. So it's unconscious. They stumbled upon something greater than they actually were going for. <laughs> no, no, we, we <laughs> meant to do that. Guys, this was just a throwaway joke. Thought we were going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this still is going to speak to, uh, I think, what Herbert's statement might be is that you you have Paul who is privy to a behind-the-scenes relationship of co-equals. Yes. And that that is then what is going on into the future, is you have a male-dominated society which is cold and falling apart. You also, though, in the Bene Gesserit, have a single female-led society that is in many ways falling apart. And it is only through the cooperation of the two combined in Paul that kind of a new direction for society can be struck. Yes, yes. By our powers combined, it's two sides of the sword, uh, and then you stick Earth. it. If you stick it into Grayskull, heart. <laughs> then you open the door to Grayskull, and yes. you go in, <laughs> and and you can't really defeat. Until you get shield. He was saying He Man. I was saying He Man. I want the two parts of the sword going. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, let's get on to our bad guy. You were on the right page. So then we jump over to planet Getty Prime, where we are introduced to Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Oh, and I will say, uh, we talked about this on a previous podcast about the Jabba the Hutt voice. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, the audiobook has on, it. On, on what, uh, which one was it? But it, it, the guy, sound, he sounds like he's gargling. Yeah. And he's supposed to, and granted, he's supposed to be, because every time you see this dude, he's eating. 
And that's <laughs> in every every time you see Harkonnen in the book, he's eating, and it's supposed to be that gluttonous aspect. <laughs> oh yeah. But the guy in the book just sounds like he's underwater yeah. half the time. <laughs> uh, and the, it, it actually kind of works, but it's. <laughs> if you were going to get molested and murdered by a man, he would probably talk like that. Well, <laughs> that's, and, that's the weird, and, the, and and we get, we right away get this weird talk of like, I need to relax. Find me, grab me one of those young boys and drug yes. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can we do this? Yeah. Yes. Can we talk about the movie where it's called Breakfast? That's all it is. Breakfast. Can we talk about the movie where the dude with the infected face is getting stabbed? Baron Harkonnen. Baron Harkonnen. Okay. No, I know. I'm just I'm just breaking it down. Yep. Dude with the infected face is getting stabbed, and his doctor's like. I really love, I think you look delicious. (laughs) Okay, and and then that's weird. And then he inflates and starts floating around. And I know nothing about Dune. (laughs) And I'm really worried. Okay, okay. And that's the thing is, Harkonnen is meant to be that, it's gluttony. It is the, it is. Well, it's freaking weird. He is in a position of power. (laughs) He actually, in the book, is always wearing, he's always wearing like, uh, He's always wearing a contraption that grav lifters, a grav grav lifters, because he's too fat to walk. Yeah. He's he has his own oh. private futuristic hover round. Yeah. That <laughs> well, wait. So let, can we talk about this for a second? Because the movie has done the thing, and I think forever imprinted every, into everybody's mind the idea of the big fat Harkonnen flying and floating around. Does did I miss I it, or does that never happen in the book? We are told that he has like these fat. Like repulsor lifts, like I got the impression that he's still walking under his own power, but he has like weight assistance that keeps the weight buoyant, but that he's still walking around. It's a f- Let's start to repulsor B. bra. Danny B, what is it? I don't know if he. I think he. I think he can float. See, I didn't. I never got the impression in the book that he could. I can't float. You're in ex- You're like accidentally onto something here. The anti grav bra. Is really you just put two little be. repulsor lifts, and they just kind of. Mm-hmm. That's what we had magically in Zan. The good one. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Because sure. in the book, I was kind of waiting for it to talk about from the movie. It's so in my mind of him floating but around like everywhere. Wearing one of those like Halloween costumes where you have the pumpkin and it has like the fan in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it keeps his loins. Uh, air's got to you know, circulate. You, you know what I'm talking about, Dan? No. You know, no, like where the costume like inflates. Oh no, I don't. I never. Oh, you never that. seen it? It's. it's you Absolutely. have two, Dave. You have. That's the biggest, like, Halloween, everybody wears those oh, inflatable yeah. costumes with the little fans. It's kind of like their, their costume, like, inflates. Do you Why know what Halloween is? I do. Uh, uh, I've uh, never uh, seen October the October 31st, I believe your wife would yes. refer to it uh, the day before Dia Samba Muertos. Wow. Some Spanish left. I do. Spanish day. I need to bring this up. I need to bring this up. You know that dead Spanish day or whatever the heck? Do the dude. I need to bring this up because I just Googled Harkonnen for images off Google. There are a whole bunch of Donald Trump's faces. Oh, there really is. There really is. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, so I'm precious. sure listeners will let us know if the if, if he could float in the book or not. Well, right. I comment on yeah, because yeah. he's always we- but he is wearing this anti-grab suit because he's too fat to walk. Right. Right. For sure. It's me in ten years. But we are also <laughs> we are also Jeez. introduced to two other characters here. Play we got nice clob, uh, Piter. I'm dead. And <laughs> Fade Rautha. Yes, I will kill him. <laughs> I will kill him. Oh, the dude in the what book. You, the dude in the audible. 
version that plays Pieter is so swarthy. It's mm-hmm. just like every time he talks, and he, it's exactly like it's supposed to be. Every time he talks, you envision this skinny little guy that just makes the hair on the back of your neck curl. Because <laughs> he's the assassin, and he's supposed to be the slimy guy assassin, but he's kind of dumb. <laughs> oh wait, I get the duke Um <laughs> Well, we find out that Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, it's he has set it for himself to take revenge against Le- Duke Leto Atreides. He wants the family wiped out. Yes. And so he's just giddy about them arriving on Arrakis because now his plans can unfold yes. to take them out. Right? And, and at the same time the emperor had heard that uh, House Atreides had been refining some way to uh, shoot in your mouth by commanding language, which is uh, what Frank Herbert does. Also, then he decides he decides that he will align himself with the Harkonnens and uh, therefore well, screw over Atreides and at the same time ensure his reign as because, emperor. Because Leto um, was trying to align himself with the, had it set up that he was going to align himself with the Freemen who are the, 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 the noble savages that are on, the, that are on Arrakis mm-hmm. here. Um, and everybody else in the and and again we have the this idea and this it's it's a trope but it's not too much of a trope of the the noble noble mm-hmm. whether you, you know you have the nobleman who is actually a good person who is actually trying to do stuff and actually cares about his people you know set off by the exact opposite that's in Harkonnen who just wants to eat you know slurp spaghetti in his grab suits <laughs> yeah and and not wrestle yeah. before bed yes. well, that's, that's a spicy meatball uh, <laughs> that's actually very good well, then, uh, I think the emperor too was jealous of the Atreides or not the Atreides uh the Harkonnens? No, no the Atreides. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the Atreides. Atreides. Of his popularity, yeah. and he thought it was a threat. Yeah. yeah. So oh, exactly. People love him. This why. dude's nice. This dude's good to his people. His people love him. His people actually follow him, not because he's a noble. They follow him because he's Leto, because so of his personality. He's got to put him down. I guess as long as we're a little ways into the book here, and I feel right. like it's safe to ask this question, uh, when mm-hmm. the movie opens up um, and that big black thing comes in, and it's revealed, and that booger starts talking to the uh, emperor. <laughs> oh, the trade guild. <laughs> Who the hell is that booger? That's the trade guild. Tra- uh, yeah, the trade guild. Yeah. The so these are it's the truckers. These the, are. Oh, it's the. Uh, it's it, it's the. Uh, the fish body. It's the. Uh, it's the truckers union. So. <laughs> so I won't lie. For as much as we can make fun of that, I do think that looks pretty good in the movie. And no, I, I actually yeah. I, thought, I thought it was a really cool yeah. idea that they had to bring in something like in its own atmosphere. Right, right. But I, I thought the, that was really cool. The butthole but mouth was a little alarming. Uh, I yeah. would don't even know if I'd go butthole. <laughs> no, yeah. I would something. Uh, no, it was no, an orifice of some yeah, kind. Yeah, more, uh, more front door. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I don't know but what kind what, of buttholes you guys are looking. And then it started <laughs> squirting out this like. Right up my alley. Like, so, so I. What was the impetus for the sputum in the movie that would warp space time? Because for me, when you read the book, the idea is that these are humans that have changed so much because these guys just consume melange. Is it the cons- do they consume tons of melange? Are they genetically who? Just trade guild? The, 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 trade guild. Space yeah. and guild. Yeah. Space and guild. Yeah. 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 So much it altered their yeah. 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 So that like to me it was actually awesome that their mental powers are so great that they can, you know, fold space and time to draw ships through, which is to me awesome. Why in the movie did he shoot stuff out of his mouth? 
I don't know oh, what traveling. Yeah, like what was that about? <laughs> the, to me, it was just a weird <laughs> mental thing where they bent space time. I would not have pictured that as sputum coming out of some sort of weird orta orifice and you know, splashing <laughs> over space time. I don't understand. The last, the last time I sputumed, I did kind of space time travel. <laughs> oh wow! I don't get it. You're on timeout. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So there was okay, just from the, like the movie's perspective. We got uh, Booger Boy <laughs> spacing guild uh, in the in the tank, and he's talking, and it's it's pr it's a cool idea. But it was like afterwards, I think when he's folding space time. Yeah, I don't know. Yep, sure. But it was just kind of like he was talking with the emperor, and the chick was hiding in the back. Kicked her out. The Benny Jesuit. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, like he was just kind of like floating through the air, the Booger Boy. Yeah, and like. I don't know. I just I just wanted to ask. And thank well, you. I and, actually, and that now that you guys have told me that that makes more sense to me. That's one of the problems of the movie is if you I'm read not, the book, I might you have all the gaps of the movie filled <laughs> in for you. When you're just going in watching the movie blank, there's Booger Boy <laughs> shooting sputum at a multicolored wall. I have no idea what's going no, on, and I don't either. You have to read the book before you watch the movie. I think it's well, just complete. Just this, Google this. Booger Boy spews on walls. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. I'm doing it right Good. now. No, don't, don't you do that on my internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the there's the Padishan Emperor or Empire or Emperor who's the Emperor of a Thousand Worlds. Right. And to balance them you have the Landsrod, which is a bunch of other noble houses that can together can overthrow. Right. To balance out the system. To balance out the system. It's like right. NATO. Exactly. <laughs> True. <laughs> so the emperor has his own forces, but together, so he doesn't want to piss off too many of the noble houses. So that's why he's trying to use the Harkonnens to take out Leto as a rival. Right. But his advantage is the Sarkar, is that not? Yes. Like, he has the ultimate warriors of the universe, is that what we're led to believe? Yeah, yes. Those guys that have the flame suits. Or religious ex-criminals. They're from a prison planet, yes. <laughs> nice. Reformed. Yes. Right. <laughs> okay, but we also are into, there's a lot of world bu building that happens in this these first two chapters, which is why there's you know we're spending so much time on them. But we also learn about Chome, the Chome Company, right, which is also uh, kind of in control of the spice trade, right? Um, I, it's hard to it's hard to get a good grasp actually if you just read the book on this whole setup. I, I agree. The movie helps you, but Chom's not necessarily a huge part of the movie. Even no, either, no, at all. It's it's very. Um, I don't know. How do we make sense of where this fits in with uh, our universe, the whole universe? Chum. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It, it, it feels like they they in some ways are the mining guild of some sort that that is in charge of uh, spice retrieval, and then the spacing guild is in charge of its delivery. Um, well, so you, everyone I, depends on. The guild for travel, correct? They are like who, right. Oh yeah, that is their power. But Chom itself is the company that mm, controls and makes the most money off of the spice, right? Right. I think so. Well, and and really too, this is a this is I really do believe this is Herbert's take on capitalism, and it's the idea that you have all these people who are running things at the top that really have no idea what's going on. It's the it's the spacing guild. It is the uh, 
it's the chome, it's the the people who are actually in the trenches and actually doing everything else, and they're just and the people who think they're in power aren't really in power because there's all of these different things underneath them that are really take care of everything. Right, right. So after the whole test, right, we we don't we have Paul is in bed while Jessica. Uh, is talking with the Bene Gesserit. Um, and Paul, though, recounts a dream that he has had where he meets a girl and the girl's going to have glowing blue eyes. Yes. Right? Because, uh, again, uh, within these first few chapters, we're establishing so much of this universe, the overuse of spice or, or a lot of using of, of spice will give you uh, completely blue eyes. Well, and as many, as many you know, quote-unquote great properties as spice has, and as much as it does, it's still an addictive substance that changes right. you on the molecular level. Right, right. So after hearing the dream, though, the Reverend Mother gives Paul a hint as to why the other uh, Quitsack Hataraks failed. She says that that which submits rules. So she's being cryptic. Again, we're building very much kind of this uh, mythological beginning to Paul, where there's a lot of... Um, uh, secrets, prophecies that really you as the reader don't really necessarily know where they're going. Well, I don't know if you're supposed to believe the prophecies either because we get we keep getting these drops of the you know the Benny Jesuit Illuminati underground that has been coaxing these prophecies to their benefit. Right, right. And again, which leads me to without reading the other books, uh, is Paul truly a messiah? Or you have the Bene Gesserit whose job it is to plant legends and religions on other worlds and are going to use him. Does he just buy into his own hype? And does, you know what I'm saying? Like he's fulfilling prophecy, but is he really fulfilling prophecy? You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, and that, it's a commentary on, again, is he so really much a god? Here. Is he really a god or is he just a man who is using spice and is fitting into the narrative? Yes. Was Jesus really a dude? Was Buddha really a dude? Right, um, right, right. Was, you know, I, whatever Indian, you know, I'm not savior that you have here in this aspect of... of <laughs> Holy God! What, what we are dude, speaking hey. of jihads against uh, people. Hey, man. <laughs> Don't get the door for the next couple of weeks. I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I'm just the dude, man. <laughs> just the dude. Is the dude really the dude? <laughs> um, I'm, but no, but it is. It really is. I, and it's looking at... You know, all of these companies or all, all of these organizations have manipulated the narrative so much right. that, like you said, is Paul a god or is he just falling into the narrative where he's supposed to fall into? Yeah, right. Or both. Right. It's kind of this weird look at whether or not he can control this destiny that he sees. So he has this weird dream about a girl um, wakes up, starts to question, like, also is told or shown that his uh, dad will be assassinated or dead, right? Yep, right? And he has to struggle with, how much can I control that? Do I actually put time and effort into trying to protect my dad, or is it just inevitable? Of course, that happens. Then he starts to question, will this happen with this jihad I keep envisioning and these waking dreams? And this scenario plays out in which he sees himself as a supreme controller, right? Right. Um, but is that a self-fulfilling pro right. prophecy? That's the question. How much? It's the whole fate versus free will. 
he starts to question how much can I control and then at, at every test he starts to pass them he has that reaffirmation of like maybe I really am the Messiah but he wants to fight it it's a struggle that starts as soon as that first dream so right. it kicks it off right away and it's a thread throughout the whole book I agree and what is fascinating for me is at least in this first book and maybe I don't ever want answers to this I like from this first book this interplay of it, is he truly a person who is the Messiah but doesn't know he is or just a human fulfilling his own right so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy well, I love that and it really does follow the and I'm going to keep coming back to this because it really does follow the uh, judeo-christian idea of Jesus and the story of when Jesus was about Paul's age and he was informed you know that he is the son of God and everything and he fought it and said no I'm not and there is there is that myth that's woven in here as well right and it, well and I think that's why Paul is named Paul Yes. You're not going to name him Jesus, but you're going to name him then the, the, the next one of the one of the great, uh, you know, apostles of Jesus, Paul, you know, the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. That's, you know, well, and is Paul, it a fitting name to you? What else would you want him to be? I think it is a fitting name. Enrique. Well, you know, and even Paul fought anything, it. That, anything that fits more into Paul. the universe. In, in, in the, in the I think Paul is good. In, again, in the Judeo-Christian yeah. theology, Paul was actually against... Um, Rome. Against Rome, against the Christians, or before, against Christians, against yeah. the Christians before he had his epiphany and when yep. I should actually be doing this. Yes, yeah. So I think he's playing on. What's smart about this is he's playing on tropes um, that would be long seated in his audience's mind, um, okay. and 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 create that that narrative right down to even the names of things. Arrakis feels very much Middle Eastern, Iraq. You know, uh, th those kind of, the names of things, the Benny Jesuit, you know, uh, kind of sounds like Benny Jesuits. Yeah. The Jesuits. Yeah. You know. Very, very Middle Eastern in the naming structure. Uh, right. A right. A lot of this kind of stuff. So uh, I feel like he's tapping into something very mythological in flair, which automatically, I think, gives it weight that other things wouldn't normally have. Right. If you tie your mythology very closely in a person's subconscious to something that is a, a, a real religion and seems to have a lot of weight and value to it you don't have to spend as much time in your book trying to give it legitimacy anymore right like when you're talking about some sort of weird elven religion around flowers it's never going to have the weight that calling a guy Paul and having him be in a desert and and walk through the Messiah's footsteps right. is well, going to have to your eyes. And, and even going back even going you know Back even further and going back to like the Hercules mythology, oh, and again sure. there was that that rebellion that no, I'm not really the god, no, I'm not really a son of the gods. Yeah. Whereas Hercules, you're Hercules both human and god, like this. Yeah, yeah. Philip K. Dick did the same thing. So yes, we right. did that. Our, we did that um, show. And right. Really, the visual of the man walking up the hill and then getting hit with objects, or you know, getting basically stoned. Right. Um, he didn't. That was not. That was like kind of a, his reveal at the end in a weird way right. of like this repetition. I don't know, just hammered it in. But um, yeah. the the persecution of a savior. You, yeah, and you didn't need. I mean, David could, that could connect to a mini. <laughs> <laughs> Holy <laughs> crap! <laughs> but um, I get the, the same thing. I, that's what I visualize. I'm totally seeing it now. All of a sudden, <laughs> Jim Jones, the emperor, uh, the emperor yeah. now is uh, Bill Clinton, <laughs> and his troops there are the ATF. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> David Koresh standing on that compound as it's burning, yelling, Mwadib! With those glasses. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that, but oh, I do, something that I do really, really enjoy here is I do really enjoy all of the interactions that we have with the Freeman mm-hmm. um, in this first part of the book. Morgan. And they it's, <laughs> I think it's I think it's Fremen. Fremen. We're gonna Fremen, we're sorry. gonna be stoned again. <laughs> <laughs> well, but they but but that's also the thing is they're called the Fremen. They're named that because yeah. they really are the free men. Free. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. It's definitely a play. <laughs> but all these interactions that we have, um, even with the dude, even even with our, our our dude here who ends up being the savior. Uh, Dude, once Leto, once Leto is assassinated, um, but we have this idea of he's the the what's the guy's name? The guy who's part he's part free he's part Fremen he's part human he's that he's the middle ground guy. Leah Kynes, the yes, planet ecologist. Yeah, the planet ecologist, and this idea of he uh, you know he has been living with the natives for so long that he is ver- you know even his own people look down on him a little bit because gone native, yeah. yeah because he's gone mm-hmm. native, right for sure. Um, and but I, I think for me a lot of this is playing into stuff at the times too, where you're talking about the goal going native thing. This is a big thing in movies in the '60s. This idea of a a a white suburbanite or something, or whether it be in cowboy movies or anything else, kind of the the last of the Mohicans. Yeah, the veneration of of finding a native culture who is still in touch spiritually with nature and kind of. Them being in the right, and and, mm-hmm. and and all these people that come down with these machines to do all these different things to the planet are really the bad guys. Like so, Fern Gully. Yeah. I was gonna say Fern Gully. <laughs> Fern Gully. <laughs> oh my god! Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, Fern Gully is like, Dune Gully. in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Mind blowing. <laughs> so we get to the new Atreides house mm-hmm. on Arrakis, and Jessica finds this. Terrarium, essentially, in the bottom of the in in the house where there's lush plants and they're using so much water that could save so many people. I like, and this. I want to talk about that because that again is very much that that gluttonous aspect of the Harkonnens kept this as, hey, see what we can do, and this is all we. This is I, I have this for me. And she makes a very good political move at a dinner party, talking about how she's keeping it in trust now. It right. used to be for the Harkonnens and just kind of throwing the Harkonnens under the bus more right. to try to get in with the locals better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right, so water in the planet, right? Yeah. No, so, but I, this part, again, I really like because we're setting, out how, setting up House Atreides as being the, the good house, right? Because right. she knows about the water and yes. she, she feels bad about this, that she needs to do something about it. But at the same time, they're savvy enough, like you said, with the dinner party. Bring us into this dinner party and well, what goes and on. Well, and this great political move by Leto right at the beginning of the dinner party where it, it used to be the custom that before the dinner party, everybody comes into the dinner party and there's a big bowl of water there and you you wash yourself up and then squeeze it out and throw the towel on the floor and then they squeeze the water out of the towel for the beggars that come to the door and Leto goes, screw that, we're not doing that anymore. Oh, but this is tradition. I'm the Duke, it's no longer tradition. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Just give the beggars water when they come to the door. Right. There is also a high-minded aspect to this that makes it, to me, it feels like uh, a Roman centurion moving into Egypt. Yes. Right, there's right. A very much this feeling of like, uh, my family's here now and the corrupt 
governor that was here before or centurion that was here before is, is no longer in control and now mm-hmm. I am going to be better to the local populace. Correct, because yeah. like, he wants not only not only is that the type of guy he is, but he's also the new guy, so he's making him and Jessica together are actually and this shows them together even in public. Right. Making a lot of these very savvy moves to get the locals on their side. Right. I get the feeling that on Arrakis they do feel like they can in some ways flout the the traditions and customs of even on Caladan, where now we're in a new location, we can in public appear more to be equals um, than we did when we were on Caladan, and maybe mm-hmm. more in the public limelight. Because Dune feels to me, do or do we feel like is is Arrakis kind of the armpit? Even though this is where spice comes from, nobody really pays attention to it. It's just right. the industrial work world. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as the spice kind of flows, the superior Wisconsin of the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. Wow. wow. <laughs> I didn't realize. I didn't realize. I didn't realize you guys thought so highly of superior. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. <laughs> to all our Scotty listeners, yeah. um, get out. Key port liquor is real nasty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Key port liquor. I like I, re- I really like, I like Wisconsin like, Point. Just kidding. Yeah, I just I, made I, Wisconsin <laughs> some southern trope. I don't know. I, I really like your late hours, Keyport. That's true. But we're also then interest, introduced to Gurney Halleck. Right, he's right. the uh, he's here to teach Paul today's sparring lesson. And like this Game of Thrones we were talking about earlier. What do Game we of say Thrones, to the God of Death. Yes, Game of Thrones direct. <laughs> this is yeah. this is the scene in the first in the first couple seasons with mm-hmm. Arya yeah. learning how to fence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is this Arya, is exactly. Need to, right? In the movie, it's expert uh, somersaults and voice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really fantastic. With uh, this weird uh, robot machine just spinning around and like sticking things out uh, sporadically. If I can say, fall maneuvers. Is it, the the movie. If there's a failure, that machine uh, is uh, in order in order to uh, ratchet up the tension. I never feel like that machine is going to do anything. No. To I, I, the the movie has an obsession with like spinning machines. Uh, uh, <laughs> like, if we can talk about like where where Paul is. Training with whatever the hell spinning, <laughs> burrowing worms. It's everything. The brilliant. look of it, I think the look of it is awesome. It's just that it's too slow. Like yeah. even though they're they're quick cutting it, it still doesn't look threatening. <laughs> yeah. Like that weird little you ball, know, like the spinning rod coming the out. Little, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like an egg beater comes out. <laughs> it's like well, it's quick <laughs> cutting between snails racing. <laughs> it pokes him a little bit. Ow! <laughs> Ooh! Oh, jeez! I'm gonna shoot you in the egg beater. And you're kind of looking at he's using that gun to blast off all those arms. You're like, that's expensive. Watch him. Like, what kind more. of training <laughs> implement is this? Yeah. It's costing thousands every time he trains. <laughs> They're in their commentary while they're watching him. Watch, watch him. So precise. Uh, watch him hit the fork. Uh. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about the commentary. <laughs> watch him. Wise beyond his years. How do you get that from what you're seeing right now? How do you know wisdom from what you're seeing? I really, I really want like some like spaceballs esque kind of like. Pan over to another guy going, What are you guys watching? Within <laughs> 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 the same frame, just over a little bit, like, what the? <laughs> yeah, but uh, again, and this is, yeah, so so we get through this. We're around, for those of you who are kind of wondering, we're around chapter five, somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so afterwards, we get Dr. Yui. 
Yeah. Right? Is that how we pronounce it? Yui? Yui. 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 Whose wife has perished. Yes. Um, due to the Harkonnens, obviously, and he holds this ancient grudge. Um, but it's also, like, weirdly hellbound to do anything to avenge this death. So he's mm-hmm. kind of trapped in a weird cycle where he's not a terrible guy, mm-hmm. but he makes a terrible decision. Well, is I mean, it justified even though he helps the Duke afterward? I don't know. It's a very conflicting he, uh, character. He knows she's dead, but remember there's the whole thing with the Harkin, with He doesn't really know that she's dead because the whole Harkonnen promise for him doing the betrayal is you will be, be with her. You'll yeah. be reunited with her. Right. They flipped it on him. Well, yeah. Yeah. I like this because Yui gives him this orange Catholic Bible, which takes forever to open. Um, But in it, he he asks uh, Paul to read his favorite quote, which I really like this. The quote is, think you of the fact that a deaf person cannot hear. Then what deafness may we not all possess? Which I'm like the the little quotes that he throws out that that's that's really profound. I really I really yes. like that little little quote. Mm. Yes. No. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's a nugget of gold yeah. right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. I I, 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 no, I, 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 wow. I legitimately think that's really good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's in uh, Superior, Wisconsin. <laughs> or somewhere else. <laughs> Is that what no, right about? here, oh, right now. Your body, my body. <laughs> your nugget. Um, <laughs> Our but, nugget. Okay, so essentially, right, we get we get that, uh, the meeting, we get the dinner. It is a pivot scene. You get more of, like, peripheral characters. You get a sense of how other parties are interacting on the planet, including maybe some smugglers, right? Um, and then that really reinforces, like, the difficulty of navigating this political landscape for the House of Atreides as they are now moving in. So I think that scene kind of in the book starts to ramp things up right. in this coital rhythm, uh, which mm. will climax, of course, uh, temporarily with the assassination. So pretty crucial scene. Um, right. Also kind of boring, but not. It's, it's a weird mix. It, like. it, it is a weird mix because I think it's more of a thinking man's action scene. Right. Kind, of, I, kind of a topless Senate scene, if you will. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. And, and Leto, Leto gets called away so at the dinner, at the dinner, so Paul has to kind of step up and be the man of the house. And right. I think right. It, and we get in Jessica's head while Paul is being the host, saying, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the mother, the motherly of, oh my God, my son is growing up. He handles himself so well. He even shoots down a guy who keeps trying to insult him. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. It's kind of another test of manhood. Yes. Uh, with the the decorum of handling himself in that environment. Right. So then, ultimately, we move on to what the scene um, mining spice. Right. They go up in the. Um, they do. Is this what, what towards the dinner? Is this where we find out that the Duke already knows about the Empire stock? Spice, Emperor stocking spice, and that the Sardaukar troops are coming. I believe so. Oh wait, we and also that Paul's the assassination attempt on Paul. Is that With that little or after the scene. No, that's 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 no, that's it's right after because he knew about the plot when he went to Arrakis. Right, Doom Planet. He knew that. There was a trap waiting for him. His men tapped right. him. So, right. Yeah, so he knew, and then they knew they were all stockpiling spice, so they went on a raid before they went to Arrakis right. to blow up some of their spice reserves. Yeah. Could keep okay. going, Danny P. Yes. <laughs> yeah. To, you to, need to, to lead us all this. Yes. yes. To yes. see about us. So when they went there, like he knows the trap's coming, but they think they can get ahead of it. Okay. Yeah. But then there's one attempt on Paul. 
With the yep. with the, the little the, yeah, the little, little hover, hover needle, the hover yeah. needle when she grabs out. out of the out of the air right and smashes against the wall. Yeah, don't shadow mapes. And then it holds it in the water, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, to short it out, which is which is pretty cool. He's passing all kinds of tests right away. Think about it. Think about that arc, like bam, 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 bam. He's passed like four tests already. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's right. pretty quick. It's successive. Which yeah. is instantly show. I don't I, to us as an audience. I don't think there's ever any tension as to whether or not he is really who. He he says he is. It's just when no. is he going to believe it about right. himself? Mm-hmm. You know, which is he, he will arrive and already know our customs. Yes, but, yeah, and yes. all this prophecy. Comes Ooh, can we die? So as they're gearing up to go to sea uh, out in the desert, right? They're going to get on on one of these ornithopters. Yeah, right. Um, they put on the suit, which I, I love. This suit. This right. is a great. Is a still suit. What? You yeah. love? You love drinking your own pee? <laughs> Hey, do I, like? do I have to drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile, and right? I like the taste. Thanks, Rip <laughs> So, so your your sweat will move through the first layer of the suit into a second, and then the the and your poop's gonna hang out next to your calves. That's what creates the pumping action. Oh. Walking around, a pumping action happens, yeah. and then you can access it through this little hose next to your face. Um, I, uh, can again, I, can I fill that with booze? <laughs> what you, <laughs> uh, yeah, if you just, you gotta stock your body up the night before, and then it'll just, you'll just, <laughs> just sweat it out. Drunk. You're just, just you're drunk all day long. It's it, it, sweating out your pores, <laughs> and you're drinking it on again. On that note, if anybody, ha- <laughs> if anybody has that technology, you can send it to Dungeons and Dweebs. There's just a bunch of youpers sitting around watching the game. <laughs> In still suits, just drunk nonstop. <laughs> Eyes rolled back in the. We had a tailgate party on uh, Friday. Been got, drunk oh till today. We got Wisconsin. We got Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> who, else, who else are we going after? You know what? Uh, you know what? Canada, huh? you're too polite. Oh, Canadians! It's, ama- it's amazing the mileage you can get out of a case of hands uh, no. when you're in a still suit. <laughs> 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 oh. uh, I've been drunk three days in the same case of hands. <laughs> oh, wow. That's why you only hear about spice because the beer industry yeah. was wiped out. No, <laughs> they, no, they, no. They talked about they talk about they talk about the potency. At one point, they talk about the potency of spice ale. Oh, so they have spice ale. Wow, spice beer. Okay, yeah. Sign me up. Yeah, um, but again, what you said that they he will know how to live like us, right? Um, that that's he buckles his spice suit. He or his. Uh, a still suit, he he buckles and does it, it up. It seemed the proper way. Yeah, exactly yeah. the way he was supposed mm-hmm. to, or the way the Fremen do. Right. Right? Which is pretty cool. I just never liked the way that actor kept saying, catch pockets. <laughs> catch pockets. <laughs> it just catch always pockets. stuck with me. Catch pockets. <laughs> Creepy or something. <laughs> kind of looks at, kind of winks a little bit, and he's <laughs> catch pockets. Yes, could I be your catch pockets? Mm. Uh, so they fly out onto the desert in this ornithopter, which all I could think of, there was a Magic the Gathering card from like 95 called Ornithopter. Ornithopter or... <laughs> it was Ornithopter. Oh, yeah, no, and they reprinted it recently. Yeah, Ornithopter. Is oh, this, man. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 there, there were Thopter tokens. Uh, I'm pretty sure yes. the, one of the early cards was Ornithopter. I think you're right. You, um, no, you're, you're definitely right, but yeah, they just uh, recently was just a Thopter. Okay, so... It's an artifact creature. A Thopter. Flying... <laughs> Quote, you want to know what we are fighting for? Question mark. Look at the wonder in that child's eyes. 
Uh, which is an obvious allusion to Dune. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, right? I Look what we are yeah. fighting for. Look right. into the eyes, the blue well, eyes. Way to go, Magic the and again, <laughs> and again, this is a this is another thing why I feel that this is really supposed. This really has to do with us and our universe in the future. Is this is a, every time they describe this these things, it's it's a Da Vinci design. Yeah. Right. It's the Da Vinci design of the Thopter with the flapping wings. And Which again ha- gives it this throwback feel that is in many ways timeless. You're, you're looking at a Da Vinci Thopter, it's very timeless. Can we say the movie's yeah. version is garbage crap? Do that you, do you, that do Thopter. Do you ever see it in the movie? Yes, and that oh, Thopter, man, that Thopter is as bad as anything out of Flash Gordon. Like yeah, that Thopter <laughs> is uh, unmitigated uh, trash. The bird, <laughs> peop, the bird people in Flash Gordon. Are pretty, <laughs> pretty bad. I mean, and, and, and as long as we're and trash. the lizard people. <laughs> as long oh, as those, as oh my yeah. god, with the weird yeah. hood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy, easy. Oh my god. As long as we're trashing everybody. Hey. Wizards of the Coast, way to make more money off of other nerds. Yeah. Do <laughs> <laughs> you get that Thopter token? Um, so they're in the Thopter. They're in the They're thopter. going to get to the spice, right? They're going to want to be harvested. Yeah. And I, I like here, and again, this brings Leto back to being a man of the people. Dude climbs in and goes, I'm actually flying. Yep. Well, sir, I uh, don't think we can shut up. It's my, it's my thopter. I'm flying. Right. And right. so he, he's a pilot. He's not just the. He's not just going to sit sit in the back seat and eat peeled grapes while they go through here. But look at the Luke. Look at. I mean, it is 1984. You can hang any model from a string and fly it in front of the camera. <laughs> oh, I, I remember. And that, that is what you that. build. Yeah. Look at this thopter. This it, is trash. Yeah, it's, it's the vehicles that are the problem. You have millions, <laughs> millions of dollars to spend on special effects, and the prop guy comes to you with a box with two doilies hanging off the side. George and Lucas, you go with it. George Lucas made a Death Star, X Wings, yeah. Tie Fighter, Star Destroyer. Look at this. <laughs> How do you not fire him? Ham's just breaking furniture over there. This is so. <laughs> just unbelievable to me because those other get dis- in the box. The other ships that they're using are awesome. What's in the box? <laughs> well, here's the deal, too. Like, that scene, uh, you get to see the harvester, kind of cool. The harvester Looks is like cool. a beetle, kind of. Right? I like it. I like um, it. You see them flying in in this ridiculous uh, rendering. <laughs> and then uh, the scenario in which they're warning. They're warning about this worm, right? He cites the worm. He's then praised for citing the worm. It is always good to find the worm. Sure, be the one. Duke. Yeah. <laughs> be the sharp, yeah. Uh, Hawkeyes. You have worm eyes. That's what that's called. It's literally um, impossible. Then, uh, this scenario in which they know the worm's coming, they they warn the guys, but when everyone is running out of the harvester and getting onto the ornithopter, it looks like about 40 guys, and I think yep. like two of them, two or three get on the actual, where did everybody else go? Yeah, right, so, but that's the thing, isn't that the reveal, aren't the rest of them Fremen? Right. So they were able well, to they hide. They were able to hide in the sand as the as the the worm comes ah, up, yeah. and that was the thing is that there is a secret between Chome and that's DDP over here, right? So da- Danny, right? Isn't yeah, so this a, a reveal of a secret that's going on here? Yeah, they were they caught a ride with them. Yeah, oh, right. The harvester. Right. So all basically all it's like it, it's the popo scram and so all of the fremen just hide out in the desert while the sandworm comes up and then eats the the chome digger mm-hmm. which by the way there was supposed to be 
these rescue vehicles that right. come in and, and lift that up because attacks by worms happen all the time. They basically right. just land, they get as much spice as they can, and then one of these worms will come in and try to grab them, and they lift the, the spice. Yeah. Uh, but nobody showed up. Right. Nobody, showed up, Nobody showed up, so they had to do the emergency evacuation. But that, um, that was that that moment in the movie was like my like oh, this that's cool. cool. That is well, cool because they they the had worm shown, was cool. They had shown like some overhead shots of like oh the worm is coming and oh, and I guess you know what the the electricity coming out of the planet from where yeah. the worm is going that is that was cool. Um, but that was it's showing the worm kind of like going laterally towards it. Right. I'm like okay well. That doesn't look that impressive. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Because really, there's no in those really shots. Guess. There's no size no, comparison. No, but and they're like, oh yeah. no, it's a big one. It's a big one. I'm like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it just lifts that yeah. thing out of the ground and chomps yeah. it. I'm like, okay, okay, that's pretty cool. Okay, you got me. You got me. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's this, cool is, this is why I think everybody watched this movie is because you'd see the worm <laughs> and you'd go, I'm gonna go see that. And then you saw that ornithopter flying towards that worm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I <laughs> I see Patrick Stewart delivering deadpan lines, and I'm like, who who did this to you, Patrick? Yeah, because Patrick Stewart is so good. Oh. He is like, yeah. How do you ruin Patrick Stewart? Shakespearean actor number one. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> but like like Claude said, so. uh, you get to see Duke Leto in a different light again as a compassionate commander who cares more about the men than the spice. For sure. Which again ingratiates himself to. Um, Kinds and makes them all kind of bond together in that in that experience before his um, assassination. So well, and, like a, and again, trip, and he, right? And he does it very smartly because there's a bonus if you're the first one to spot the worm. So he was the first one to spot. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so they say, uh, it's a, oh. Oh, the good, the great. The Duke gets the bonus, and he radios back to the guys. And you know, no, actually, split the bonus between your crew. That's on me. Right. Yeah. And everybody goes, "Ooh, all right. Well, you know, he tipped well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, yeah, and he saved all the people instead of getting the spice. So, mm-hmm. right, they all right, which sure. is the exact opposite of what the Harkonnens would have done. Sure. The Harkonnens would have we, sacrificed everybody. We can't leave all the spice. spice behind. There's something going on here with these worms. There's something going on with where the spice is coming from. Some something is not what it, they're saying it is. Right. Paul sees the connection right away. Questions how the fremen are connected to the worms. Asks that question, and then uh, they realize, oh, he again. He's oh, he's quite insightful. <laughs> um, <laughs> who is so, this boy? Yeah. Who is this boy who speaks like a lot of like foreshadowing. A definitely a lot of foreshadowing for the fremen and their power. Yeah. Um, but well, still done. Uh, still done pretty well. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get. You do get the sense that the Trades are the only ones who. Uh, fully realize how valuable the Fremen are as an ally, of course. Um, yeah, they're not just the slave people. Right, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Harkonnens think they're just a band of rebels out mm-hmm. there. And their, um, was it, their spies think there's maybe millions of them out there. So Yeah, like, nobody knows, because even parts of this planet haven't been explored. Right. So is this where they have you guys talked about Duncan Idaho? No, no Duncan Idaho. Yes, we're bring it, bring him in, Duncan Idaho. Bring in Duncan <laughs> Idaho. Because Big DP, you're from Iowa, right? Yep. I'm so, so you're getting closer I'm close to, to Idaho. Idaho. <laughs> close to Idaho. So you know something about it. Corn, not, not corn and potatoes, very similar. They go together on a plate. So let's. <laughs> what are your insights? We, we might actually be closer to Idaho than Iowa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> no, but they said Idaho on a 
on a secret mission to go take over or to go infiltrate the Fremen and kind of evaluate them and see if they could be a good source to help them fight the Harkonnens. Right. And the uh, Imperium. Yeah. Well, and, and we have the whole, we have a, the, the quick scene there where even the Fremen are like, this Duncan Idaho is a pretty good dude. We like him. Um, we could talk to this guy. This is a guy we can talk with. He's, he's a man's man. He's not one of these politicians. And so it's brought up that, hey, could he be the liaison between Leto and the Fremen? Mm-hmm. And could he have dual allegiances? And so they, like, prick each other and drink some blood, and then right. stuff goes on. Well, because underlying this entire time now, we know that there is somebody who's going to betray the family, but we don't know who it is. And there's mm-hmm. a good job done of pretty much giving everybody a reason or why anybody could be the Including person. Jessica. Including Jessica. Include, uh, I think that is very heavily towards Jessica. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, most of the time, you're pretty heavily led to believe that Jessica is the one mm-hmm. who, who might do it. And they even call her this Benny Gesserit witch, mm-hmm. right? Like that, It does feel like even though the Benny Gesserits have worked themselves into a position of power, uh, they are not trusted and not liked. They are the people who people... Everyone listens to them when they're in the room, everybody respects them, and when they leave, everybody talks about them once they're gone and hopes they right. never come back. <laughs> yes. I've known a lot of women like that in my life. <laughs> well, Lito talks to uh, Paul, tells him about the plan to implicate Jessica mm-hmm. as uh, his assassin. Right, to spy on her. Right, right. right. Um, and I think events quickly in motion then from his from that news to his death uh, very quick and I also right. kind of found the scene with the actual assassination in the book to be not super uh, engaging no kind of like a, it wasn't to me like a lot of a lot of the book I love but that scene in particular that was kind of building and building and building uh, I, like, I was much more engaged in the setup for the assassination. Yep. Yeah, he goes I walking down the hallway. There's a dead guy in the hallway. All of a sudden, his like body freezes up and he falls to the floor. And there's a there there's a mustache boy. Mustache boy, boy. doctor <laughs> doctor Yui <laughs> Medicine Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, there and he's there and just yeah. whispering in his yeah. ear in the dark. And you can see and you can talk, but I wouldn't advise it. And I've done this. And now I'm going to pull your tooth out yeah, while you're sitting while you're here and put a new one. That's a brutal. Scene if you that could be could be a cool brutal scene if you film it correctly. Right. Well, no, we're not. I wouldn't really call it the assassination scene so much as like the Manchurian candidate creation right. scene. Yeah. Where like they take him right, pull out the tooth, give him a tooth that's got some sort of toxin in it that he can breathe yeah. into uh, Barry Harkonnen. Yeah, yeah. Leonard Lake and his cyanide. But it, but, it's a, but it's a new design, so therefore they can scan them all at once, and it look it it comes across as a tooth because the poison's in the root. So when they scan them and X-ray them, essentially it just looks like a tooth with a root in it. Which yeah. this is a cool. I, I do like all of this, but I do agree that uh, what, how has this not been tried? Is this something that's like that like Black Ops is doing? We wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the, no, I mean this is a great idea. Yeah. How has this not been tried? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it has been. I have no idea. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I agree with you that in some ways the action undersells uh, the buildup of the tension leading up bit. to it. A little bit. I don't know. I mean, it's not a huge not, deal. Not a huge deal. But, but again, if, you're, if we're, I mean, Dune is a huge tome, and if our job is to really nitpick. Well, <laughs> so we're going to So we put Dragonlance one hell of a So we finally. <laughs> 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 I would like recommend that. We auto Dragonlance potatoes. potatoes. Five spicy potatoes. So, <laughs> so, we, so we, finally, we finally get to the assassination scene here after he. He's been caught and um, 
Right. Uh, Harkonnen doesn't necessarily want to torture him. He even says Harkonnen even says he doesn't necessarily want to torture him because yeah. he's another he's another noble. But I guess I have to. And he sits him down in front of him as he's eating a plate of spaghetti because <laughs> you got to show again. It's a cinema sins thing. You got to show how much the guy how much of an asshole the guy is if he's constantly freaking eating throughout the entire freaking show. And so he's sitting there and he's eating and he's and we have Leto biding his time and he's trying to figure out and then he's going to be taken away to be tortured and, and he doesn't know if he's going to have time or be this close again and so he goes for it and he goes for it and we're like yeah he's going to kill him he's going to sacrifice himself because right. that's what Le- that's the kind of guy Leto is he's like fine Paul will survive Jessica will survive I just have to do this because that was the bargain that he made with Yu-Gi-Oh right. Yu-Gi-Oh whatever the hell his name is Yui 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 yeah. Um, and so he bites down and he blows, and we have Pieter who's next to him going, <laughs> "Well, I'm I'm going to get you, and I'm going to pull your fingernails out with my tools." And he, oh my god, I'm dead. <laughs> and then he just dies. <laughs> Luckily enough, Harkonnen had like his mini shield up at the time, so it didn't like spaghetti, waft into him like it was supposed shield. to. Right, his spaghetti shield. It was his napkin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm not going to get over the fact that this guy eats in every scene. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, like, runs out of the room. Everybody's dead in the room except for him because just by, you know, shield ex machina, he happened to have his mini shield up. Right, right. Was it was it Leto? Leto was in there as well, wasn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah, Leto. Yeah. That, that's how Leto died. Yeah, right, yeah. So Leto dies. Um, but the Sardaukar find them, right? The Sardaukar... Find Jessica and Paul. No, don't they, they they walk in after Yeah, they walk oh, in right yeah, because yeah, he sounds the alarm and like all of a sudden the Sardaukar come up yeah, and yes. Yeah. They, go, by the they way, go in and clear the room. I didn't bring up this before. Sardaukar from uh, what planet? What is the uh uh, uh what's check the your chart, dude? What is the prison? Yeah, Seleucus Secundus. Which, what? Which you get it? Did, did you just make that up? Do we have to <laughs> really really leap that out? Morbidus Leviticus. Uh, no, that's true. No, 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 no. no that's, it, it's like Seleucus Secundus because oh. do you see the alliteration what? there? They are the heavy. Oh of no, the, no, no, no! I, I, I get where that word's coming from. SS. They're the Schutzenstaffel. You're the, oh, from okay. Germany. That's oh, not yeah. where you thought it was from. No, nope. They're the SS. No, they're the SS. The Schutz, Schutzenstaffel. Yeah. Where did you think it was coming from? Say it again. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man, my second. They're the SS. They're the they're the you know they're what whatever specialized you know forces you have coming in there with that. I mean, I, I yeah, no, I, I do. I would rather envision them and as I, the yeah, SS and I never rather than some. And they are they are secundus secundus. <laughs> yeah, we are from the prison. Yeah, Is that from Rhodes? We come. Um, <laughs> we come. We, ha- we have made lots of exploitation yeah. <laughs> films in the seventies. We will hurt you. Mein Kunf. <laughs> you should watch our number one movie. It's called The She-Devil of the Solution Secundus. What do we make of this planet? Is this so planet... Club, what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Is this planet like the clones uh, planet where it's just a giant sea with... Camino! Weird... Yeah, Camino. Is that what uh, the prison planet is? Like? Camino Comundus. Camino Secundus. <laughs> Sonumnus. Leviticus. What the actual hell are you talking about? <laughs> okay, oh, okay, a, okay, so the pr- listen. It's a prison the, planet. The prison planet, Seleucus Secundus, is where the Sardukar fr- come from, yes. is the entire army the Emperor uses that is a clone army that comes from... 
Kaminuk comes. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Some bonus xenomorph. I don't. Claw. Are they saying you, you You're not even trying. Something. You I are was, not trying. I was actually going to say something, but. <laughs> say it. <laughs> With the Emperor's specialized troops, do we ever, and maybe this is something that comes out in later books, but we haven't now. None of these guys have a personality. All of these guys are interchangeable. Right. Yeah. And so this is something where, okay, they were prisoners on a prison planet that had a certain set of physical skills. Right. Is there like, is there, has there been like a brainwashing or like a lobotomy thing done? Because that's immediately what I go towards. Is right. these are drone soldiers. Yeah, it does feel like that. Yeah. yeah. Because none, nobody has an individual personality. True. Yeah. And they are, even in the movie, despite their ridiculous outfits, shown as a faceless entity. Correct. Like, they, there is no individualization of these people. Can I also go off on that? Like, so, so you have this budget where you have been able to turn out a design for some of these buildings and maybe the worm and the digger. Like, was there five different people working on this movie and, like, Jimmy was coming in? Like, he had two things he was supposed to do. He was supposed to design the ornithopter and then <laughs> you're also supposed to design the look of the most terrifying warriors in the galaxy and Jimmy we left the most important part of the group project up to you and you screwed it up yeah. made box people yeah he's like my dad used to be a firefighter and he came yeah. home and he had this heat suit that he used to wear it Check was it silver out. but if we if we paint it black because yeah. I was scared of my it's dad <laughs> your, your dad was a drunk and he made a suit of armor out of Beer box. <laughs> black people. Watch it. Because they are <laughs> awful. I think, I think they're supposed to look samurai-ish. Right. Uh, no. That's not... that. No, we're not talking about them. That's not the movie. What, do you mean? <laughs> what the hell? Are you looking at Tom Cruise? The last time? <laughs> no. Look that's up a fat bastard from Austin Powers. Sardaukar, <laughs> <laughs> the, there's some of them right there. But they're basically... You can just see through the stupid face plates. They're all just like black... Yeah. Garbage bag suits yeah. with, a, with a shield. I know. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so looking at your ex girlfriend. Yes. Oh yeah, he's trying to find images <laughs> online, but he's not finding them. Um, oh. Sorry, car. So, Dr. Yui, he was the traitor. He betrayed the Duke. Right. Shut down the house shields so yep. the invasion could come. But, but in doing that, though, he did it correctly because he also because at the time he did it, it makes it look like Jessica did it. Mm -hmm. To if you're of a certain to all the people who are already suspecting Jessica, they think that Jessica was the one who shut down the house shield. Which I think is beautiful because at this point we know that it's not Jessica who did this, right? It's kind of revealed to us that it's not Jessica. But then the tension then flips and comes from okay, everybody thinks it is Jessica. So how how is she going to get out of this? Basically, everybody wants her dead from uh, uh, the house Arrakis. So. Is this where we go into then Baron Harkonnen arriving on Arrakis at this point? Well, yeah, I mean, so Baron Harkonnen wanted to frame Jessica. Right. Thinking it because he thought it was really funny that he broke the Imperial coding. Yeah. And I was of a doctor. Yeah. Which is supposed to be Correct. Correct. Because he's, right. he's, 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 he's basically a brainwashed android, anyways. Right. Um, through his coding imperial and through his, conditioning. Through his Imperial conditioning. And so he broke the coding on that. I am so disappointed, though. You know, we've set up Jessica and we've set up the Bene Gesserit here as to be like these, you know, almost um, psychic witches. 
you know, who had the ability to manipulate everything and to do everything, and she's taken out by chloroform while she's sleeping? Yeah, well, it gets the best of them. But she's supposed to have she's supposed to have all of these like extrasensory perceptions and be able to read know. everything. I, I don't know that I she would, does. I would defend that, you know, if you are psychic, if you have that quote unquote sixth sense, that when you're asleep you're weak. But I don't know that they're really truly psychic. No, she, she could read people. She can read like people. She like, engage them, read them, and yes. then manipulate them based on. Right, exactly. It so it's but not, she's got her specialized, she's got her magic dagger that she's got on her thigh. Yeah. And the worm tooth. The worm tooth. That listen, we never talked about, listen. actually. She got that She got that from the, the, the other crazy old lady on the planet. Right. I don't think so. I, I could chloroform all of you at separate times. <laughs> Very easily. All I need is socks. Yeah, that's all I need. So I, I don't think it's unbelievable. I think I think like this Luke makes said, last weekend make so much more sense. She's taking a nappy, <laughs> taking a little nappy. She's uh, off her guard, right? Yeah, I agree. You might as well get her then. Well, because well, yeah, who did it. Did the doctor do it? Huey, the chloroform? Yeah. No, it was random Harkonnen dude number four. Okay, I thought the doctor. I know the doctor <laughs> gave a. I don't Paul remember. Too dense. I don't know. Only one read through. I don't remember. I thought, I thought Paula's doctor. I thought she was. Just drugged. Yeah, she was just hard-getting dude number four came in and went, <laughs> Oh, jeez. Did you lick his hand? No. Oh. <laughs> and so she wakes up. Um, I will say this for Herbert's writing, though. Her waking up is extremely well-written mm. for to give you the imagery of the fogginess of waking up after being drugged. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, like she doesn't pop out of it immediately. She's got to go through the stages and um, the different things, and going from like the tunnel vision um, and having that open up and having her mind come back, even though she, you know, with everything. I think that Herbert writes that extremely well, so you feel that with her, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think that's something you either go with or not. This movie is very dense, and it is because Herbert describes a lot of times everything in extreme detail. For some people, it can be wonderful and. You know, depends on the moment. It depends on the moment, and in other terms, it, it, other times it, it can be maybe a little much, uh, depending on your own outlook. But I, you generally like it. So she wakes up in the room, in a room with Baron Harkonnen, who again is eating throughout this entire scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he spits on her face yeah. in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah it is disgusting. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, he's that's eating. Just, that's, that is worse than murder. That <laughs> and nearly just, everything with him in that movie is just uh, foul. But it see, is some of the most foul yeah, stuff. Subway sandwich spit on well, and, face. Well, and oh. murder? Yes! <laughs> and she'd be stabbed and spit on in the face. <laughs> to, me, to me, Bob, Bob, and maybe you'll follow me on this. Yes. <laughs> To, this is this is uh, Jabba capturing Leia. Yes, it is. Yes, the, it is. <laughs> it's the gross guy, and like the tongue comes out as oh, she's standing in front of him, her, and he licks her. Stuff's going on, and, on her. and she's just like ew. And he's like, all right, well. And again, but again, we have this whole, we have this whole thing where, just if you're gonna kill him, just kill him. Right. Yeah, Let's right. not go through this whole convoluted right. plan of well, we're gonna throw him in the desert to the worms, kill him, then throw him in the desert to the worms. Right, right, right. Well, the, he was concerned because he wasn't supposed to torture the duke. Yeah. And the and the Sardaukar general was like the watcher yeah. and the emperor. Right. So he's concerned he's not supposed to kill him, and he's worried about the truth sayer. 
Reverend Mother. Right. So that's why he wants to distance himself from it. He can't be acknowledged about the killing. Oh, yeah, That's right. why they dumped him in there, because he wanted uh, plausible deniability. Well, and I understand uh, that, yeah, but yeah, like then you do what you originally want, what, what this whole convoluted plan came up to is. The guy, is you get the deaf guy to take her, because he can't hear her. And the other guys have earplugs in, and then, of course, we got to get all rapey on the way to the death scene. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, Dungeons and Dweebs um, is sponsored by uh, wow. AdamandEve.com. <laughs> Adam and Eve, you want to throw us? You want to throw us a sponsorship? Uh. We'll get even worse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they throw him in the copter, and as they're throwing the copter, she's trying to figure stuff out because she's gagged. Because she, well, no, because if she, Adam and Eve come. because if, she's got the ball gag in, because if she talks, oh, yeah. then she, and moving on, they throw her in the thing, they throw in the ornithopter, they get all rapey as they're going through. Right. Yeah. And uh, eventually she, and Paul talks to him and Paul uses the command voice. Right. Um, and the guy listens to her and pulls the, pulls the gag off mom and then mom is like well I'll be uh maybe I don't need to be tied up maybe you'll enjoy me more if you untie me and he's like all right I'll untie her I like that you know? yeah, yeah. well but this but she's using the voice uh, this yes that's why oh, oh, I don't I me. no reason to fight over me <laughs> yes, no, yes yes that exact line I went yeah oh well, she is technically a concubine, so she's probably she's probably been trained she's been trained in that aspect as well, in the language of love. Oh my! Uh, I think you're projecting, but I'll project with you. Please. <laughs> well, let's both project together. I'm tired. <laughs> That's why Ted's wearing sunglasses. So they're flying out over the desert, yeah. right? In a thopter. In a thopter. Can I talk what, about the what, design what, of this thopter? Please stop. In a box. In a box. In a, in a box. They're flying. They escape. They crash. Made by my daughter, I'm pretty sure, when she was five. Well, and they, get, and they, let, well, they don't crash that oh. one. They land, and then like people come out and save them. Yeah, true. Like, they land. Well, yeah, they land, and then they go to... Did they go to the seat yet, or was that? No, they they landed. They're gonna like they're throw her. They're, they're gonna throw her out of there, and then yeah. they end up. Uh, did they, does Paul end up killing him? I don't know. Where are we in book one? I have no idea. <laughs> At this I think point, we're, I think we're in the book two. Are no, we? No, we're not. Book, no, 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 book two is after they get rescued. Yeah, um, because yeah, the very yeah, final yeah, chapter yeah. of book one is where they they are. Let me let me get to it. Uh, book one uh, chapter. Oh, they're in the still tent. It was oh, right, they're right. in the still tent. So yeah, let's take two here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what the hell is going on? <laughs> How about that? Lado's uh, dead. Lado's dead in his attempted assassination as, of as Jared. He Jared Lado. He was in. No, Jared Lado should be dead, but he was in that Atreyu movie. Right now, but but see, that's why that's why this is our universe because eventually Lado is a descendant of Jared Lado, which is why this, which is why. I, uh, Arrakis is Mars because Jared Leto's band was 30 Seconds to Mars. And Adrian Paul that is the worst Highlander <laughs> ever. 
ever. I can't believe Actually, you are saying this right now. <laughs> Adrian Paul is the greatest Highlander. Deep. Deep. I just I just blew Luke's mind with the thirty seconds. I was just that that you pulled that out of your butt that quickly. That was it's actually pretty good. That actually is really good. Blind. We are trying to fudge the fact that we don't know what's going on here. So yes, we do. It crashes. Duncan Idaho shows up to help them. He finally believes that Jessica and Paul are not, or that Jessica wasn't responsible for the Duke's death. Right. And they're going to go escape into the desert. And so they go and build this little desert tent while they wait for Duncan Idaho to come, to come back. back. And what what is the entrance and exit for the desert tent called, Bob? I'm going to hammer on this thing. It's called a sphincter. <laughs> and I can't stand that what they decided to call the opening to a tent. A sphincter. I get it. You're on Dune. Water is at a premium, so this is not a normal tent. That what you seal. what you need to call <laughs> needs to be something tight sealed, puckered. But I cannot believe how many times while I'm walking the dog, I am listening in my voice to how Paul is climbing in and out of a sphincter. <laughs> Did anybody else as you were reading this just picture Ace Ventura? It'd have to be something like that, though. I mean, yeah. we gotta keep well, all moisture. And is this tent that they're in, the, or this desert shelter, is this underground? No, I don't think so. Because I, or or it eventually ends up being underground because of the sand oh, blowing. The because sand. they kept oh, talking yeah, about yeah. them having to climb out. They get a right. snorkel every now and then. Yeah, they. Yeah. <laughs> They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Snorkel through the sphincter. I got it. <laughs> Within the orifice, uh, Paul and Jessica realize, or Jessica realizes that Paul now is like stepping into the Quitsog Cataract role, uh, this profound section from the book. It As is. though he saw inside her mind, Paul said, they, quote, they thought they were reaching for me, but I'm not what they expected, and I've arrived before my time, and they don't know it. Jessica pressed her hands to her mouth. Great mother, he's the Quitsog Haderach! There it is. There it is. That is the reveal. Yeah, the reveal at the end of book one. You know, I have arrived before my time without somebody knowing it as well. (laughs) And you know what, I just can yell that. If you climb into the sphincter... I believe Sting, who was in the movie version, has has something we could all work on to stop that from happening. If we gotta throw this out there, Sting in this movie, best undies... Of the 80s. That's true. <laughs> well, no, yes. hey, we, yeah. we will talk to Sting when we get to book two and actually okay, meet you, you his are, character. You're right, you're right. You're, uh, yeah. you're right, I'm sorry. So well, we've met his character and he just hasn't done we, anything. Yeah, we, we, we end book one here and we end book one with them Oof. in the desert. Yeah. With them in the desert waiting for Duncan Idaho to come back. But in a, in a long and circuitous way, we are looking at a Moses figure. Oh, where, God, yes. Where it's it's Moses and his mother now, or like you, a combination. Moses, it's also Ishmael and his, and, and his mother, uh, you know, uh, being cast out into the desert uh, where the next set of trials will, will come from. Yes. Because they need to return to Egypt to free the people. I mean, you got Tommy Idaho or Robert California becoming <laughs> manager of Dunder Mifflin. It well, he's, he's gonna have to speak California. <laughs> he's gonna have to speak to a burning bush. Plus, plus, okay, okay. Duke Leto's dead. His <laughs> Paul, Paul and Jessica are in the are in a tent in the desert. Yes. Um, Harkonnen is eating something somewhere, plotting plotting doom. Um, for the whole and plotting to get plotting to get his house back. Right. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my house back. You took my house. 
I left some recipes in there. <laughs> and the Emperor is somehow involved here in helping Harkonnen get um, get the house back. Be- and Sending the Sardaukar. And the Freemen are going to come in here. We we know the Freemen are going to come in Fremen. here. Freemen! <laughs> They're Freemen. God. Morgan. We are going to get so much hate mail already. I'm sorry. Yes, fine. They're Fremen, but they're Fremen because it's written as free man. That's the idea. Freeman! I will take us out of the book. We, 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 we know this at this point, and we know that the, the Fremen are going to come up and see him as the Jesus figure here. Right. right. Oh, Jesus. Can I, do you want me to? I will close this. Close it uh, up. With Please a reading do. of the last page. Please, uh, g- give me that coital <clears throat> rhythm. But he saw again in his mind's eye the shrine of his father's skull and the violence with the green and black banner waving in its mist. Jessica cleared her throat, worried by his silence. Then, the Fremen will give us sanctuary? He looked up, staring across the green-lighted tent at the inbred patrician lines of her face. Yes, he said. That's one of the ways. He nodded. Yes, they'll call me Muad'Dib. <laughs> Muad'Dib! The one who points the way. Yes, that's what they'll call me. And he closed his eyes, thinking, Now, my father, I can mourn you. And he felt the tears coursing down his cheeks. Book two. Muad'Dib. Muad'Dib! <laughs> can I ask you, no, how many of you have ever looked at your mother and thought about her having an inbred patrician face? <laughs> Actually, did, and, I, I, and I don't remember from where I am, is the reveal about Jessica in book one or book two? About her ancestry? Yes. It's right now. So So it's right at the beginning of book two. No, no, it's, it's oh, at the it's end. It's at the end of yeah. book one. Okay, so she is a Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's revealed Muad'Dib. at the end of book one, and that's where the inbred lines of her face mm-hmm. come in, is because right. the Bene Gesserit set... Ha, the Bene Gesserit has put all this in motion. We have this idea that it's supposed to be the bonding of two houses, but she she never knew that she was a Harkonnen. And so Paul is really, again, it's that, you know, God-human... I think it's, it's Harkonnen. That, it, yeah. Harkonnen is a Finnish couple. Uh, Bob, you just live. read my mind. <laughs> I'm like, every time we said, we said there was a debate on this. Did you guys go over? Did you guys go over to uh, have sauna there at the Harkonnen place? It just sounds. It sounds like my last name. That's all it sounds like. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm a Scandinavian boy from a cold no, climate. And I, and it's I, Harkonnen. No, I, I understand where you're coming from, but this is not in Seoul. This is in another. My Seoul name is Toivo Harkonnen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm here to I'm here to play some squeeze box music for you. Yeah, that's, old, that's Toivo uh, Harkonnen. He cracked I'm, that tooth I'm, right in my face. Oh, oh I bit it I'm off. Baron Hartnett. It's not actually Baron. It's Baron. He's <laughs> Baron Hartnett. We reading some time <laughs> in all just Scandinavian <laughs> accents. Like what? What <laughs> is this? That tooth there was wild, there, eh? His tooth there, biting it. Tried to get me. So he just him. starts yelling out Muad'Dib. Yeah, Muad'Dib. I don't know. Well, that's crazy talk. I know, I know. Yeah. Hey, it's a good thing I had my shield up. Yeah, yeah, I told that pansy boy to go and grab another beer and shut up. Harkonnen. <laughs> Harkonnen. <laughs> I think it is Harkonnen, isn't it? Harkonnen. It's like Harkonnen. And then there's this Harkonnen. Harkonnen. For, for me, it has to be Harkonnen. They said in the movie. But then they found like footnotes in old uh, uh, Frankie's Footlocker or something. What do you mean? Really? Footlocker. That's, uh, no, that's where they got all the no, like, so all really, the other oh, wow. books that under, came under, out. Under, no, underneath yeah. the Benny Chesser ball game. <laughs> For like what, what, what exactly what I said two minutes ago, 
Harkonnen sounds really close to my last name, and it just makes me feel weird. I agree. I'm going to go with well, Harkonnen because I'm just <laughs> going to see Finnish people. So Harkonnen yeah. and Freeman. Harkonnen. Not Freeman. <laughs> it's not, it's Freeman. Freeman. Oh, Freeman. It is. No. It is but they are free men. But we they're need free help. Men. We need help. <laughs> okay, so what do you think about the saddle and the time machine? That's what I really... <laughs> let's... Can we... All of this madness aside, can we just put a bow on episode 35 and we'll come back? We'll come back to it. Where there's not as much buildup in the beginning. We'll actually get through, what is it? Book two and book three. Book two and book three. Yep. We'll do that. We'll do that. I'm not going to let Ted or old DP influence my mind with their dirty ways. I can feel it. I can feel you looking for I don't, me. I think you got to worry about someone else. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have been the voice of reason on this podcast. I would say, oh, yeah. I would say for 80% of this episode, yes. Yeah. But we have converted you. Claude. Claude is the sanest one here. I mean, I don't know what that says about this episode. Thank you, thank you for tuning in, everybody. Um, hey, kids, check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Hit, hit, up, hit us up on the YouTube channel. Um, share your thoughts with us. Um, do you agree with some of the things we say? Do you have you disagree with what we're saying? Yes, we've gotten some of the pronunciations wrong. Some of that's been intentional. Working, some of that's eh? been out. <laughs> Uh, but no, by all means, we want to, again, we, you guys have been so great about keeping up the communication with our past novels. We want to keep this up because we know Dune has a huge fan base. Um, new people listening just because they saw Dune and what's going on. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, realize we do this. And again, we do this. We explained this on earlier episodes. We didn't really go into it too much on the, this episode. But we do this and we get into the minutia and we... Um, we're all we're a bunch of Scandinavian boys up in the great Northland here so if we're actually taking the time to poke a little fun at things and get into the minutia stuff that means that we love it well and that I, means that we are in and we are here for you know we the reason we drew, we're doing this book is because we have a passion for this and we we love this stuff as we go through right and I do do get the idea that the purpose of the show is to just have a bunch of guys sitting around having fun reading a book so no this is not going to be your place for a scholarly diatribe in all serious seriousness on Dune. If you came for that, well, go away. However, <laughs> however I will... Have fun with it. I will point out, yes, we're here to have fun, but we do have our moments of just, you know, Benny Jesuit knowledge pinnacle spice coming out. Yeah. If you learned, like, two things, uh, well, I guess we'll have done our job. Again, there's, there's an appointment for that. What deep? What deep? Tell that to Max Alright. Great to see ya. Uh, Danny, you're still the new guy, which means you still have to buy the last round. Honey, come over here. Um, come over here. You got that tray? All right, boys. We got some spiced rum here. Uh, along with the spiced rum, we also have a little tiny bit of what is called absolute spice vodka. So we can go through here. Oof. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons and Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had on our website, dungeonsanddweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at dungeonsanddweebspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at dungeonsanddweebs.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons and Dweebs is Fatal Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, royaltyfreekings.com. 
Dungeons and Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert media production. Copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the expressed written permission of Tim Gilbert Media.